Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Nashy Cast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. I, once again, am Rod Barnett. And I am not. No, I'm Troy Gwynn. <laughs> but it's true, you are not. I'm true, I'm not. But you are Troy Gwynn. Mm-hmm. I am but not, but I are. Here we are once again, episode number 8 with the Nashy Cast. This time out, we're tackling Count Dracula's Great Love from 1972. I'd like to comment, by the way, that 1972 was a year in which... Mr. Nashi had three films released. Yeah. And uh, he was having a good year. Yes, he was. This was the banner year for Mr. Nashi, I believe. Was um, he, he was doing a lot. Well, the, the early 70s, of course, were the heyday for him just making a right. lot of films. But in 72, we had Count Dracula's Great Love, Fury of the Wolfman, and Dr. Jekyll and the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. What can you say? I mean, he was he was pumping them out. That was two werewolf films in, in one year. This is uh, deep in the early 70s section of his career when he was really on a roll, both as a writer and as an actor and producer. And right. this, was, uh, this was a hit. This was a, this was a big film in his career. This is the first and only time he played Count Dracula, mm-hmm. uh, much like uh, Revenge of the Mummy, not a character he returned to again. Right. And uh, some might say there are reasons for that. Yeah, uh, he addresses uh, in uh, some some comments that he made in um, interviews and in his uh, his book memoirs. He addresses the fact that for some people he's just not the right physical type. Mm-hmm. But uh, as he says, I, I think that that really kind of depends. I think I think it I think that different actors can play the role. You don't have to be a, a tall gaunt right. man right. to uh, to play Dracula, but. There are some problems with his portrayal of, of, of the character, in my opinion, but we'll get to those later on. Sure. First, I'd like to um, make one slight, after after the point five episode, I, <laughs> I, I still have one correction to make. Um, and it's strangely enough, only for those of you listening in Spanish, <laughs> as strange as that may sound. Actually, what it is, is a friend of ours uh, interviewed us uh, tech, in, a, in a text form, interviewed us in a text form, and translated it into Spanish for her website, and in that she asked what the music is that we opened the show with, the music that you just heard. And uh, I told her that it was uh, by Bruno Nicolai, uh, the uh, the Italian composer, the man who did a lot of work with uh, Ennio Morricone, that it was for the film Torso, the Sergio Martino film Torso. I was incorrect. Uh, it is by Bruno Nicolai, but it's for the film Eyeball, the movie I keep referencing here because we right. keep running across actresses that right. were right. in the movie. Mm-hmm. The uh, the DeAngelis brothers did the music for Torso, not Bruno Nicolai. And the reason I confused the two is that I, the, the CD I have the score for Eyeball on also has the score for Torso, and so when I looked, I didn't separate the two names and just confused them. And Therefore, if you read that article, the interview with Troy and myself in <laughs> Spanish... And I told you that that music is from Torso. I was wrong, and I apologize. So, for, <laughs> yeah, you, for the English speakers in the audience, I know. So, we can't correct we can't correct ourselves in Spanish, unfortunately. But uh, I would love to correct myself in Spanish, but it would it would um, embarrass me more than normal. I guess <laughs> I'm just not. I'm I can't do it, people. I'm I'm I am solo lingual. Yeah, can't can't manage it. <laughs> But uh, that's the only news b- new bit of information that I've got to uh, impart before we launch into the film. Troy, do you have anything? Before start, starting this out, talking about this film, is that this was one of the 
this is actually one of the early Nashi films that I did get to see. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. It actually showed uh, on TV uh, late night television. Uh, they showed it here in, in Nashville. Uh, the old Channel 17? I, 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 it was either 17 or it actually could have been Channel 2 because on Saturday nights, Channel 2 would actually show a couple of late night horror movies and sometimes they would show some European horror films. Now, by the time this came along, I was already had made the connection of who Paul Nashie was, so this was still a few year, years after I saw, you know, the first two or three, but this was definitely in the early, this was definitely one of the few that I caught on television before the videotape boom started, and you could start finding a few right. of his things here and there on videotape, and it's just interesting that uh, when we were, the film always, I remember it as just being, you know, very striking and visual, but uh, it's well, funny. Well, the film it's, kind of looms large in his filmography, it does, because it really it's, it's, it's his Count Dracula yeah. films. and I think that uh, uh, when we were when we decided we were going to do this film next, I remember thinking to myself that several of these films we've done in our show so far have had some fairly complex storylines, and and my memory of this was that boy, this is going to be the most straightforward story, and and, and because all <laughs> I remembered of it was you know just the basic, th- and then boy, watching it again, we'll see that that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, I think that I may be termed a heretic on this film before we're done here. I I think that we may end up making some people unhappy with this with our take on this film, or at least my take on this mm-hmm. film, because. I, I kind of wondered why I'd never had the urge to revisit this film when I after mm-hmm. I first saw it back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of odd because my memories of it were very positive. You know, oh, it's, you know, Nashi's Count Dracula film. But I have to admit, going back to it, now I remember why I may not have been as thrilled to return to it as mm-hmm. some of the others. And, um, mm-hmm. well, we'll we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> Call me a heretic if you must. But... Here we go. He's not going to say that it's worse than Crimson, I promise you. Oh, please, people. <laughs> Having my toenails pulled out with pliers is not worse than Crimson. No, no, no. No, no, no. I don't know. Let me say up front, I don't consider this to be a bad film. I just consider this to be a cluster of a film, and we'll get to the second part of that word momentarily. Okay, people. 1972, Count Dracula's Great Love. I love the music in this film. And I'll probably yes. end up, as we go through it, referencing specific bits of music that work mm-hmm. really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, never found the score in this film to be anything other than a really yes. good merger with the images on screen. It did and actually, a fantastic that, that was then that's that was another memory I had of this film was I remember myself and a friend of mine that came over and watched it with me when they showed late night television. I remember even then we kept saying, "Man, this is this is cool music. <laughs> this is it good, really good is." Score, um, so. The uh, fellow's name is Carmelo A. Berniol. I'm gonna I'm gonna torture his name. Berniola. B e r n a o l a. Once again, Spanish listeners, I apologize, but this man's music for this film mm-hmm. is fantastic. He scored "Horror Rises from the Tomb" as well. Music once again mm-hmm. that I thought was an absolute standout, Let and he did "Hunchback of the Morgue" as well. Quite interesting because I remember I remember loving the music from Horror Rises from the Tomb as well. It's been a while since I've seen Hunchback, so it's not it's not as fresh in my memory. The music in this in this film is a standout, and I and I will probably continue to reference it as we go through. Yeah. Okay. The film, first of all, is a period film, and it take, seems to take place in the late 1800s. And I'll be honest, I wish they had kind of, there had kind of been a stronger reference for what year to it was supposed it was to be, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it gets a little hairy trying to figure out what uh, what the year is and what exactly the time period is because there is a point where they reference uh, something that happened in, I think, 1865. Right. And that having been years ago, 
but yeah. they don't reference how many years. Right. It, it kind of makes me almost. Uh, it made me think a lot of Vengeance of the Mummy. The the look of the film and the the costumes and things, and maybe slightly before the time of, of Vengeance of the Mummy, uh, which I think we figured out was right around either the very yeah. end end of eighteen hundreds or the very beginning of the nineteen hundreds. This might be slightly before then, but the costumes are very similar. Well, the film begins with. Um, we see this older building up in the up in the up in the mountains. We're not told exactly where it is, but we see a sign for the place spelled out clinic. Well, it's it's clinic with a K K L I N I K, which tells mm-hmm. us automatically we're probably in a Slavic country. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to guess Budapest right off Budapest, sure. Romania, something sure. like that, mm-hmm. depending on the time period we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, clinic de, de cargos and uh, two workmen. Are coming up to coming up to this this pretty large house. I wouldn't call it a castle, but it is a, a really large house up on the mountainside. Come up um, in a coach. Uh, yeah, fog everywhere. You know, so yeah, fog everywhere. It is it is in the it is in the daytime, obviously, but um, probably late in the day. And uh, they in a, in a horse drawn wagon, quickly getting across the the time period quite right. quite quite effectively, as well as the dress of the two men, and they are delivering a very large wooden box to this place. And from their dialogue with each other, we we learned that they've been paid to bring this here and to put it down in the basement of the house. That the man who uh, owns the place uh, will be there in a few days, and this is just some stuff being sent ahead before he reaches the place. <laughs> These are what I would refer to as your typical, all all the way back to Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Yeah. These are your typical kind of everyday working class guys that these that somebody probably found down at the pub and. And mm-hmm. gave gave some money to to, to go yeah. and do this. They so, might they might try to be sitting in the pub. But. Yeah, they're, but they're they're suspicious of aristocrats, but are always happy to take their you know to take their coin you know to do to do to get some extra work. Aren't we all? Um, yeah, sure. But I was going to say that that because these are working class locals in a Paul Nashie film, you pretty much already know that they're just going to be you know. <laughs> A hair's breath away from either rape or, or thievery or some sort of skullduggery. Oh, you know? well, they're scum. You, yeah, you can tell. You know why they're scum? <laughs> because they're they're very poorly shaved. Right. Their clothing looks like they just rolled in shit. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a really bad attitude. Yeah, mean, their yeah. attitude isn't that great to begin with. Uh, well, they, they haul this giant box down in the basement. They, of course, get to talking mm-hmm. and seem pretty sure, well, hey, nobody's here. Let's crack this thing open. There could be some, you know, expensive medical equipment in here or something, and because the the man who's bought the place is apparently some kind of doctor, right? And they also talk about they said that he was creepy. They make sure they point out that they get they, you know, that whoever he was who's hired him was uh, one of the guys thought he was very sinister, sinister, creepy. Mm-hmm. Well, one guy talks the other guy into it. They they take a crowbar, crack open the case, and inside is just a big black coffin. Mm-hmm. No markings on the outside of it. So they look inside, and all that's inside is a skeleton of what appears to be a female. Uh, flesh is all deteriorated off to it and miraculous. No, no, no jewels, no, no, you know. No jewels, no nothing, nothing to steal, so they're kind of But, you know, but hey, you know, rather than be dissuaded, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason to be put off. They decide to start looking around Let's the rest of the place around, and see yeah. what we can find. See what else we can find. And that's their big mistake. Yes. They have decided to rob the place, and, uh, well, they're attacked by a man mm-hmm. in a cape. Mm-hmm. We don't see his face, but if you're a Paul Nashie fan, you can tell the profile, right? 
So, yeah, I mean, let's well, be, the yeah, fact that he's on. you know a head or two shorter than the guys, you know, is, is also a dead <laughs> giveaway. But but he's got tell, the, how but tall he, was Nash? But he's you know, I, I don't know. It's probably I not. His, probably not. It wasn't super short. I don't think. You know. I mean, I think he was. You know. But I mean, he's not Christopher Lee height either. You know. So no, this is true. So, well, uh, at but any yeah, rate, so it's slightly yeah, not as tall as you would expect vampire. But yeah, the the, the big cape is a dead giveaway, <laughs> and it is. is. So uh, one of the guys quickly disappears under the cape. Yeah, the bearded guy, the kind of scragglier looking mm-hmm. of the two, mm-hmm. uh, gets bit in the throat, and the other one runs off down the hallway screaming and hollering. Ah! Yeah. He, Up the stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He reaches the top of the staircase, and lo and behold, somebody plants a Whack. hatchet in Man. his skull. <laughs> Whack. Nice effect. It is. Very well done. Great, great shot. Yeah, that was, that was nice, nice surprise there. And he gets the hatchet to the head and then rolls down the staircase. And then we have About 50 times. the credits. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now, I was hoping, we, uh, we we should say, we got to watch both the English language dub of the film and the Spanish mm-hmm. language cut right. of the film. And um, I was hoping that mm-hmm. one version or another would have a different opening credit sequence. Something mm-hmm. with a little panache, for mm-hmm. God's sake. But this one does not. Both versions have the same credit opening credit sequence, which is the repetition five times yeah. of the scene that we've just seen of the man with a hatchet in his head rolling in <laughs> slow motion down the staircase to the bottom, the camera. and then it just starts back up again. And you know, they were obviously real proud of this scene here. But and don't get me wrong, I, I understand it was a good. It, it was, was a good scene. Yeah. Good it's stunt. Just, it's an odd idea for opening credits. Uh, it does give you a chance to appreciate the amazing music. Um, yes. Uh, the, uh, two key things to point out in the opening credits we learn. One is that this story was by Paul Nashie. However, in this case, unlike most of the films he did at this time and most of the films he did in general, he's not the sole scriptwriter. It's actually three uh, scriptwriters. I believe one of them was a director who we also need to mention. Yes. Um, Javier Aguirre. Aguirre. Javier Aguirre. Um, who, who would also do go on to do Hunchback of the Morgue, uh, as many of the people who worked on this film did. So it's a lot of the same people carried over to Hunchback of the Morgue. But. And another writer, Alberto S. Insue. Yeah. I'm going to take a shot at his name there. I'm sorry. Insue. I'm not positive. Uh, someone who I don't know much of anything about. But if you've heard the uh, colloquialism, the uh, uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, uh, that keep that in mind. I well, I will say this. Uh, Mr. Nsue's name was also attached to Hunchback of the Moor. Oh, interesting. So there is that. I'm assuming that he probably is kind of a right-hand man, somebody that uh, mm-hmm. that uh, Mr. Aguirre, the director, worked with mm-hmm. regularly. So. Yeah, it is. It is uh, this is the first one I think we... This is the first one of his films I think we've tackled where he's he, he's not listed as sole scriptwriter, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, and we'll get into that later yeah, on, if this factors might, into... Yeah, he, there may have been a second scriptwriter on that first film on Frankenstein's Bloody Terror listed along with him, but I don't remember right off. I'd have to go back and check that. I can't remember if that was the case or yeah, not. Yeah, I'm not sure myself, but... But yeah, most of the times he's flying solo when it comes to actual script writing, and this is yeah. a case where that's that's not that's not what's going on here. Yeah, it's definitely not true this time. There are three script writers listed, and it is kind of odd. So after the credits... We cut to a uh, horse-drawn carriage uh, going through the, uh, the r- rolling through the countryside and roaring we, through the countryside. That's yeah, uh, the, the coachman is obviously <laughs> he's wearing those horses out. He's obviously in a hurry to get through. He's there. in a hurry to get where he's going. Inside, there are four gorgeous ladies and one lucky guy. I was about to say you were saying earlier that you uh, you, you couldn't remember or wondered, wondered why you had not wanted to, or hadn't, hadn't had many reasons to want to revisit this film. There's four reasons within this carriage right here to revisit this movie. <laughs> guy, the lucky guy is Imre. 
who I mean, it's like we that, there's a return of that particular name. He tends to use that name a couple of times. Yes, and a return of that particular actor. Uh, yes, I'm very happy with the return of this particular actor. Yeah. You uh, anyone who's seen Horror Rises from the Tomb would recognize this actor. He uh, he played the actor's name is Victor Al, uh, Alcazar, and in uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb, he played uh, Maurice, the best friend of Nashi's character in that right. film. The, right. uh, the one who actually kind of sur- well survives longer than Nashi in right, it, really, true, yeah, yeah. or at least Nashi's good guy character in that film. Right. Oh, or, just to say by the way, his other name that he goes by sometimes is Vic Winter. That's his, oh, his anglicized yes. name that, that he also is billed as sometimes Vic, Vic Winter. But yeah. I, anyway, this is the you could call this the Exposition Express, basically, <laughs> as the sound clip we're going to uh, <laughs> let you hear here. In yes, minute, we'll tell this, you. Is, this, this is true. We are passing the place now where, according to legend. Jonathan Harker and Dr. Von Helsing were finally able to destroy the King of the Vampires, Count Dracula. According to another legend, he was the descendant of a man who was of great historical importance. He was a killer prince who fought against the Turks in 1445. That's right. The old sanatorium will be coming into view real soon now. You'll be seeing it on the hilltop there. This region is called Borgo Pass. Don't try to scare us, Emery. The vampire's only a legend of this place. Listen to me, my friends. In this region, anything is possible. And believe me, I can assure you that Count Dracula existed. And what's more, I wouldn't even consider denying that he exists right now. Come on, Emery, don't try and scare us. What if he shows up now? You know, I'm scared. You weren't serious. But of course I'm serious. The old house you see there is the abandoned sanatorium. It was built in 1860. The whole region has a bad reputation. Yeah. The sanatorium's patients died very strange deaths. Strange death? What do you mean by that? Anemias. Anemias has spread like an epidemic. The sanatorium's director, a doctor called Jorgo Cargas, was finally brought to trial for prompting the death of his patients by bloodletting. They said he used the blood in his experiments. What did they finally do? There was a riot one night, and the people attacked the sanatorium and hung the doctor. Ha! But the next morning, his body had disappeared. It was never found. And the sanatorium? Abandoned. The latest rumor is that it was bought by an Austrian doctor. They told me that in Beach Street, where I had the pleasure of meeting you young ladies. This Austrian doctor must be an eccentric, but with the bad reputation of the sanatorium, it'll be difficult for him to obtain clients. So, we are definitely in uh, Budapest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or Romania, or wherever in the heck. And uh, near the Borgo Pass. Mm -hmm. We're in Dracula territory. We're in Dazba, say, Dracula land. And as you said, the Exposition Express. Yes. <laughs> uh, we hear M. Ray relating the the tale of, well, the, the tale of Bram Stoker's Dracula, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that the sanatorium now has been moved into by uh, some sort of uh, uh, Austrian doctor. Right. Uh, sanatorium built in uh, 1860 mm-hmm. and play uh, and been abandoned for years, been bought by an Austrian doctor who's about to move into it. I'll enumerate the things I love about this film. Mm-hmm. I love the description of the the people dying of anemia. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a good touch. Uh, which which I which I which I think is great because it leaves open the idea that this lunatic was just you know not necessarily a vampire but just mm-hmm. bleeding them to death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The whole bloodletting form right. of of healing mm-hmm. could be the easy the easiest explanation for this. Yes. Now in. This version, in the English version, he says bought by an Austrian doctor. In the Spanish version, he's an Englishman. 
Oh, I didn't catch that. I didn't. Yeah, good, good, good catch. So that's a very interesting difference between the two mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. In each case, it's always, of course, someone a foreigner, right. but Austrian versus Englishman. Yeah, yeah. An interesting distinction. Hmm. As the coach is going along, it loses a wheel, which rolls off down the mountainside. They are stuck. Uh, Emre and Marlena. Marlena. Go off to look. Go off to try to find. Uh, see if they can find the wheel. See if they can get their hands on it because the thing did just keep rolling like crazy. Right. And while they're away, the uh, the horses. Uh, it, it appears the coachman is attempting to uh, unhook the the horses so that they can, if they find the wheel, they can actually re- re- reattach the damn thing. And one of the horses rears up and kicks him in the head and mm-hmm. kills him deader than a doornail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they as the as the as the other three women, I, I, I got a kick out of this. That it's a little, you know, these are some differences between the subtitle and the dubbed version. And in most cases, the subtitle version wins out. But there's always some interesting differences there. But I love it in the subtitle version. As they're running over to his body, they're still like ten feet away. And one of them says, "He's been killed." <laughs> Whereas in the dubbed version, it makes it a little more like they're at least giving him a little bit more of a chance to live. They come over and they're sort of like, "Is he dead? Is he?" You know, but in the, I love in the subtitle version. They make the diagnosis. <laughs> Holy crap! There. That man over there is dead. <laughs> Really? I mean, he's still twitching. Are you sure? Let's let's be let's be careful. <laughs> but anyway, they are right because he is he is he is very much dead. Uh, we should also note that while Emre and uh, Marlena uh, yeah. are off yeah, looking for the a, looking yeah, for they the didn't wheel, just go off to look for the wheel. Right? Yeah, well, it's it's obvious uh, that they have uh, struck up a relationship in the in the past few days and are quite in love. Mm-hmm. Pardon me, love. Apparently, right now they're like still. Trying to keep it a little bit secretive from uh, uh, apparently from the these group, apparently these girls are all there. We figure out pretty early on they they established that these girls are all like a group of friends who met Imre, uh and he's been hanging out with them and obviously he and Marlena have become close but they're still trying to keep it secretive. This this, this is true. We do establish that, but at the same time, the movie doesn't do it very well. Oh um, sure, yeah. It's, I mean, uh, it's it takes, I, it takes a while to dole out that. It, it takes a long while to figure out. Well, okay, how do these five people know each other? Right, and from yeah. where? Later on, we find out that uh, from something that Karen says, one of the one of the other girls, that they know each other from boarding school. Yeah. But it would have been nice to have known that up front, so that we mm-hmm. have some kind mm-hmm. of indication of. I know it's like what's the exposition express for, but to exactly tell us these, they could have well, told us these things too. Yeah, but but not only that, I mean, we don't know why these people are in the coach. We don't know where they're going or where they came from. Mm-hmm. We have no idea why they're together. We just know we want to be. That's all. <laughs> there is that. I will guess. Okay, yeah, we do know that. You're right. I got. Okay, maybe the film gave us more information than we needed. <laughs> These the, the 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 forward two horses uh, break away and run off. Well, because we hear the a, the classic wolf howl, that classic recording that's been passed yes. down for years and years. Do you think films, it's the same sound? It could be the same sound effect. You know, it's, it's yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I think it's that library cue wolf sound there that's in every 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 old classic horror film. You know, that they it could hear. it could very well be that same sound. And, and that know. yeah, and you're right. And the horses uh, hightail it out of there. When Emre and and Marlene come come back, they find out they find that the coachman's dead. There's a storm coming. They can the, the, the it's thundering and and the clouds are gathering, mm-hmm. and so they really only have one option. They can't really stay in the coach, so they're going to have to go up to the uh, the sanatorium and hope that somebody's there to let them in. Hopefully, the the Austrian slash English doctor has finally right. taken up residence and and right. will let them in so they can get in out of the coming storm. And that is what they do. They go they go on up to the sanatorium. Do we know at this time? I think I think we know at this time that he's a clinical researcher. Or does he explain that later? It doesn't matter. Yeah. The funniest thing to me is that uh, between the five of them, Emre is the only one carrying any bags, and he's carrying two small bags. 
<laughs> and I kept thinking to myself as the film went on. Yeah. Did we not? I mean, did they not? Go, did they go down and get the rest of the bags? Because these women keep changing clothes. Yeah, actually, I think that is one thing that is explained uh, in a little bit. Well, I'll, I'll point okay, it out. Okay, we'll, where, we'll, where we'll get to that in a little while. But once again, like many things, in the film not explained real well. But I do think I know where that is taken care of. So, well, here's another thing. Before we get on to them getting to the sanatorium and meeting the doctor, only one of the four girls is what I would refer to as appropriately dressed for travel. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that and. Um, and that would be uh, Elkie. Uh, mm-hmm. Merta uh, Miller. Yeah, Mer- played by Merta Miller. She's the only one that is dressed in what would generally be considered traveling clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of them are dressed in very colorful gowns, uh, mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. ballroom gowns, or, or definitely not traveling clothing. And, and so I, I understand that there, there are probably multiple reasons why this could be. Yeah. But... Where, did they just come from a ballroom dancing class? Yeah. I mean, have they been? Where have they been? Yeah. They all because they're, they're incredibly colorfully dressed. Yeah, and I expect that. I expect that the because of again, as we'll see, one of the one of the great strengths of this film is its visuals, and I think that a lot of choices were made for you know colors, yeah. which are which are sometimes amazing. Just the uh, uh, I think you know, probably the way right. that yeah, the the way that the colors and the clothing and costumes are chosen. I think that that probably won out over over everything else, other than the considerations. But but you're yeah, probably, you're, you're probably point, right. Though. They they get up to the the door of the sanatorium and they they uh, they knock on it. Mm-hmm. The door opens and lightning strikes, thunder crashes just as the door opens, <laughs> which I always love in my horror. Oh films. hey, you know it's, it's yeah I love that. And we are introduced to Doctor Wendell Monroe or Marlowe, yeah Marlowe, depending on which version of the film you're paying attention to. Yep. In the English dub, he's. Wait, in the English dub, he's one, and in the Spanish dub, he's in the other. Yeah, I don't remember right off which, uh, which is I, th- which, I think in the yeah. Spanish version, he's Marlowe. Yeah, and then Monroe. And in the English yeah. version, he's Monroe. It doesn't really matter. It starts with an M, and therefore the lips almost look right, correct? Yeah. Uh, he asks them to enter, and they tell their story of woe. Mm-hmm. Now, we introduce, just so we can get the names right, we, the, all the girls are finally introduced by name to us, and so just to keep it Thank straight, God. Emery's, yes, 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 Emery's flame air the girl that he's fallen for is Marlena. Senta is the one you would call the free spirit. Yeah, Senta is played by and let's yes, get the, let's get yes, the names right. Yes, Senta is played by Rosanna Yanni. Yanni yes. The the lovely Rosanna Yanni who um, if you're if you're a fan you would recognize because she has turned up in more than a few films and a few films that we've discussed here. First of all, let me point out that she's not only in this but she was uh, also in Amando uh, de Sos- de- Asorio, 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 jeez. In his film *Fangs of the Living Dead*, mm-hmm. A.K.A. Malenka the Vampire or the Vampire's Niece or whatever you want to call it, she was in that. But she didn't turn up in any of the *Blind Dead* films that he made later on, mm. which is kind of odd. He's also in two of my. She she is also uh, in two of my favorite Jess Franco films from the '60s: *Kiss Me Monster* and Two Undercover Angels*. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Red Lips films, I love those. That's Rosanna Yanni. Our introduction to Rosanna Yanni for this show was was great because she was in the first uh, first one we did, Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, exactly. as, in, as the lusty gypsy girl. It was a great introduction to Rosanna Yanni. Yes, I can think of a few nicer yeah. things to yeah yeah. 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 But that's Rosanna Yanni. So as I say, we've seen her before mm-hmm. playing. Um, she's playing Senta. She's playing Senta. Marlena, or Marlene. Is played by Ingrid Garbo, mm-hmm. who actually we've not seen before, and no. she didn't have a really distinguished career or a very long career. Right. She uh, her her last film credit is actually in uh, 1974, 
But besides this film, I think I should point out that she was in one other film that I really, really like. Uh, the same year, actually, called uh, either Maniac Mansion, Murder Mansion, whatever you want to call it. It's another Spanish horror film that no. is a real hidden gem. Not a lot oh, of people cool. know no, about I've, this I've, film. I've seen that one in some of these cast lists, but I've, I've never seen it, though. Uh, it turns up, I think it's one of those that probably ends up in a lot of those big, cheap DVD cases. Oh, really? uh, the PD, the public domain DVD cases. Mm-hmm. It's an exceptional little film. Murder Mansion, if you've not seen it from 1972, recommended. A sharp little movie. But those are really the only two films that I've ever seen her in. This one and that film. Playing Elkie is Myrta Miller, who I think everybody here will remember. Yes, how could you forget Sandra from Dr. Jekyll versus the Werewolf? Impossible <laughs> to forget her. And and I would have to say, not uh, miscast in this film for about the half the film. I'll, uh, you know, think I'll, so? Why? <laughs> well, because she's basically, again, if we're going by types here, she's the scared one in yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, the, kind, the kind of a cowering, cowering flower. She, boy, she ever, uh, uh, to an annoying degree, I found. And I was basically, <laughs> you know, uh, basically yeah. the only words out of her mouth for the first half of the film is, is I'm scared, you know, we're in trouble, we need to get out of here, you know. Which, oh, I you know, know. She's, she's terrified the whole but time. Berta Miller, considering that, how, considering her looks and considering the fact that her the arc of her eyebrows look like bats, basically bats' wings, you know, <laughs> she's just, she was not... She was, she's a she's, she's a gorgeous woman and 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 uh, but but she uh, she was not made to play the wilting you know the the wilting but but I will say in the in the uh, the traveling clothing like I say she's the one that's really dressed in mm-hmm. what I would refer yeah. to as traveling clothing for a woman of that period uh, she really does look dowdy in the mm-hmm. uh, in that in that getup with her mm-hmm. hair pulled back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so. Interesting. It took me a minute to go. Wow, is yeah. that really? Is that really Sandra? Wow, yeah. holy yeah. crap! Okay. <laughs> well, besides the Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman, she was also in Vengeance, Vengeance of the Zombies uh, in uh, in the next year with uh, with Nashing. She was in Eyeball, which is another film that I keep bringing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, believe it or not, she was uh, in 1984. She was also in uh, the Last Kamikaze with Nashing. Oh, that's cool. And she had a small role in Bolero with Bo Derek. Wow. In 1984. Huh. Yeah, I, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I know. I Now I have a reason to revisit the yeah. film, don't I? I would say so. <laughs> okay. And that brings us to one more one more of our... Our, fi- our final member, that would be Karen, mm-hmm. uh, played by Haiti Politoff, mm-hmm. a very, very attractive woman. Now, where would we have seen her before? The answer is... No place. Now, here's the thing. This is the first film that I know or I, I've ever seen her in that I recognized her from, but... Yeah, she's a French actress, I believe. Yeah, she's, she's, a, she's a French actress. She's in a film from 1969 that I've heard of and want to see called Intrabang, uh, which is a crime film from 69. French hmm. crime film is supposed to be very interesting. Hmm. And in a number of other films, Hector the Mighty, which is supposed to be a good film, uh, The Virgin of Bali, but... Now we have our names. Now we know who everyone is, mm-hmm. even if we don't know how they know each other or what they're, how they're related right. to one another in one way or another. Dr. Marlowe tells them that, uh, well, I mean, I've got plenty of room here. The place is still kind of a wreck because he can't get workers from the local area to come in and help out, so he's going to mm-hmm. have to import workers from further away, probably Budapest. But he has gotten uh, several rooms in, into shape, so he's got room for them to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to stay here. The longest they'd have to stay here is mm-hmm. at least a week, and that's when his... Uh, his Supply man yeah. would come. Now here, I think is is maybe where because one of them mentions what about the dead coach when we can't just leave him down there, and I think he says something to the effect of, 
don't worry about that. I'll take care of that or something. And so I'm just guess. I just feel like at some point he he must have if he that's gone true. and picked up their bags. Then again, it, that's the that's best true. I can think of. Yeah. Is, that's probably how they managed to get the rest of their supplies up there. I'll just go and uh, uh, drink him. I mean, bury him. Bury him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're you're right. So they they aren't really thrilled about you know having to stay there, but they don't really have a lot of choice. Yeah. And yeah, well, Senta obviously isn't minding staying there. You know, no, Senta. Uh, as we quickly learn about Senta, she's she's <laughs> she's well, like, she's obviously looking him over and thinking, yeah. oh, this is a, this is a good thing here. We should refer we should reference at this point. We have four female characters here. And I will I will tell you right up front. I don't think any of them really completely fit the template of either the good girl or the bad girl for the Nashy films. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. We uh, as the film goes on, Karen kind of segues into one of them, mm-hmm. but none of them really comfortably fit those stereotypes, those types that he builds into his scripts for his female characters. Right. And that's very refreshing. It is very refreshing. Now on the on the flip side, Senta. While never really being an evil, mean-spirited person at all, no. obviously is looking at this guy and as, you know says, "Hey, you know, he's he's wealthy. He's obviously wealthy, and yeah. he's a doctor." Mm-hmm. So she kind of sets her sights on him. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I did like the fact, and I thought they were actually going to uh, do this while they're walking along, and he's explaining the situation. There's a wolf howling in the distance. Oh, I know what you're going to say. I think. And I thought they were going to pull the old Bella Lugosi. Ah, see, line. I know because you're waiting for it. Yeah, it's great because yeah. he's leading them. And you hear the wolves howl, and he stops, and you're like, "Here it comes! Here, here comes, it comes the children of the night." No, nope, we don't get it no, though. No, it he doesn't do it. Well, and well, and also, you know, he tells them. Uh, he t- they, he says he's got dinner set out for him, but he says, "I've already dined." You know, I thought we were going to get the uh, "Don't drink wine" line either. You know, but, but no, no, no. I he mean, just leaves that dangling out there, knowing that. The classic horror fans will, will, will know what's left unsaid, you know, and that, that's good. Uh, also, before we go on, I think we forgot to do the thing we normally do at the beginning of, the f- beginning of these casts and talk about, uh, really briefly, let's talk about just how many names this film has been known under. Oh, yeah. Um, this one went through some retitling windmills. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from getting into the various variations on Count Dracula's great love mm-hmm. that are, tra- that you know, translated into other countries. Right. Uh, in two other languages, I mean. And uh, just point out that this was known as Count Dracula's Great Love, Count Dracula's Greatest Love, <laughs> Dracula's Great Love, Dracula's Virgin Lovers. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Cemetery Girls, mm-hmm. and Cemetery Tramps. <laughs> that I gotta be. don't get that one. <laughs> I, does that one make any sense? Cemetery Girls, kind of, sort of. We yeah, get the I mean, Vampire Brides. The later fact on. that the, the fact that they are such a, a part that there is so much of the film devoted to what they're doing, you know, they, they could you could sort of twist it to make them the main characters. But yeah, Cemetery Tramps. Uh, <laughs> <just don't. laughs> I, I keep thinking about you know hobos that are camped out in a graveyard. That's yeah. all I can think of. But nevertheless, I suspect if we did a research on where this played under what title, you would find that the Cemetery Tramps probably is what ended up in the uh, the true grindhouse adult film, you know, <laughs> little theaters there. Hey, you're probably right. It yeah. probably, probably played 42nd Street under that exactly. title. Um, I do like Dracula's Virgin Lovers, though, because yeah. although it doesn't really make any sense, I don't think it's these... It's not totally accurate. It's but, not yeah. totally accurate, but, yeah. Mm. Anyway, mostly Count Dracula's Great no- Love is how it's known, and that's mm. its title. But back, back to the film. Back to the film. Yes. The, uh, we, we skip them eating, and we get right to the, the, the girls bedding down. Now, the Marlene, or Marlena, uh, gets her own room, 
Uh, Elkie gets her own room, mm-hmm. and she's scared to sleep she alone. Want it. Yeah, she doesn't, like, she doesn't yeah. really want to sleep alone. <laughs> and um, Cinta and Karen. Karen sleep in the same room in separate beds. Mm-hmm. And there's this hysterical conversation between the two of them where Cinta's talking about, hey, I think he's a good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. And Karen says, oh, I, I, I prefer well, thinner men. Well, we're going to hear this uh, this conversation here. And actually, when we hear this clip, uh, this is actually two different conversations. The first half you'll hear is going to be the conversation between Karen and Cinta. And then it cuts out to the hallway, and we hear a conversation between Elkie and Marlena. And, and during the course of this conversation, you, you get a little bit more of their particular types, you know, or their particular personalities you get, you, come yeah, out. You, 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 get, you get some, some, some idea of what these people, what, what mm-hmm. these women are like. I think Dr. Marlowe's handsome, don't you? I find him very interesting. The truth is, I don't share your tastes. I prefer my men slimmer and taller. Not I. I like my men strong. Did you notice what shoulders he has? <laughs> and besides, apart from Emery, who only has eyes You haven't changed things. since college. The only thing you can think of is men. You'd flirt with a broom if it had pants. And you're a Puritan like always. Blow out the candles, will you? Already? I'm dying with sleep. I'm scared. Something tells me we shouldn't stay in this house. Listen, silly. You were frightened about those stories of Emery and the coachman's death. Dr. Marlowe seems like a person you can trust. I don't know. There's a strange electricity that's floating in the air, Marlene. Just thinking of sleeping alone scares me. I'm awfully frightened. Stay with me, won't you, please? Come on, Elkie. There's only one bed and a dirty mattress. We'd both be uncomfortable. Whatever you say. Don't worry, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes, in case you were wondering, that sound at the end of the clip there is a cat being tossed at... (laughs) Being fucking Joe Montana through the door, man. <laughs> uh, okay. The cat starts. I mean, no matter how you try to slice that scene, yeah, there's no way to justify that. Yeah, to 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 do the visuals, just so you know. After we left the the room with uh, um, the conversation between uh, Cinta and uh, Karen, uh, and uh, we, we, Marlena is walking Elkie to her room, and after Elkie, you know, is begging her to come sleep with her and of course the as male viewers we're going yes, yes, please, yes please please but um no uh, marlena has other ideas there's a reason she wants a room to her own too so she goes on she lets uh, leaves elkie in her room and she goes on to her room opens the door and this cat is like in one of those damn one of those machines that launch footballs you know for like it just comes <laughs> fucking flying over her head Anyway, you've heard us before talk about this, and I think most most longtime oh. fans of horror movies have this what they call the flying animal, flying cat, the scare. cat scare, and yeah. you automatically get deducted points for that. I'm sorry, Mr. Nashi, but you know the the filmmakers. This is where they need. This is these these are one of the moments where the filmmakers needed to be taken out behind the woodshed <laughs> and spanked and spanked because you whatever oh. points, whatever good will you built up, you, you you always have to deduct a few points for the flying cat. Well, what <laughs> I love is that she opens the door and the cat is coming at her, yeah. and it's at chest. Fucking yeah, oh, level. Yeah. It's at chest level, okay? Yeah, yeah. Which means there's not there's not something right inside the door this cat leapt off of. This cat was heaved. Oh man. Yeah. Oh god, that was killing. But me. hey, if it you know if it made audiences jump, I mean you know what the heck, it served its purposes. If, I mean yeah, if, yeah. If it got your date into your arms, then yeah, hey, what yeah. the heck? <laughs> um, but anyway, going back over this conversation we've just heard. Now this conversation between Cinta and and Karen. 
could have happened in any slasher film in the 70s or 80s. I mean, we've yeah. heard this conversation a million times before. We, the, the sexual uh, free-spirited one versus the one who they obviously make sure they point out is the, the virgin Puritan or the prude. And, you know, and again, like you said, they're not totally, they're nowhere near as, as, as extreme in these views as, as a lot of times these characters are. But it does sort of establish that thing because it will be very important later on in the film to, to their personalities. And and to your point about why Marlena would want her own room, of course we know well, because we, we, uh, yes. she gets a little late night visit from Emray mm-hmm. for a little love. Yeah. And uh, this is the this is the for the purient among you. This is where we get our first nudity. Mm-hmm. The uh, the. I'm lovely... sure that's. I'm sure none of our listeners are or would would fit in that. Oh, of course category. not. That's. I'm sorry <laughs> I even brought that up. Nevertheless, <laughs> the. We get the lovemaking scene, and then uh, we cut to Karen being awakened in the middle of the night by the storm, mm-hmm. the ongoing storm. There's a sound that w- that wakens her. Uh, doesn't doesn't waken Cinta. She's sleeping right through it with no problems. We'll go, she walks down the hallway and finds that a window has kind of been blown open, and the wind is mm-hmm. whacking it back and forth. And uh, as she's coming back up the hallway, she sees, oh my lord, it's that delivery man, the bearded delivery man that got bit at the beginning of the film with his big bloody neck and right. he kind of yeah, he's very him. obviously yeah, he's he's full full on vamp at this he's point. He's obviously in a fact vampire. I wrote him down as a tramp vamp. He's not a no longer tramp tramp, he's a he's cemetery a, tramp. Cemetery tramp. He's there the cemetery tramp. He's the cemetery tramp. <laughs> now we know. Boy would that be a come down to go into the adult theater and discover that that's who the That's your cemetery tramp, yeah. Well she faints strangely enough right into the good old doctor's arms. Oh he's there. like right there. He's yeah. right there waiting for this. Waves, he waves the, the, the tramp away. Actually, the tramp barely moves. It's like he's just kind yeah, of just laying against the wall. Him, yeah, right. Just kind of hanging like, out. It's yeah. kind of zombie-ish. Uh, he carries her back to her room, puts her in her bed. This wakes Senta up. Mm-hmm. And he explains that he found her out in the hallway, just passed out. She she wakes up and says, I saw there was this man out in the hallway. It's you know, scared me to death. And, and the doc... S- smoothly explains this he... away. He smoothly explains this away, saying, "Well, you know, before I before I bought this house, you know, tramps had been living, you know, vagabonds. He calls them had been living in the house, squatting in the house, and I thought I'd gotten rid of most of them, but may- maybe this guy snuck back into the house. If that's what it is, and I'll go is, look around and make yeah. sure it doesn't happen again." But I love it that he says it like, "Oh, this is this, this is supposed to be reassuring to these these girls that you know, oh, know. occasionally, you know, there's some <laughs> vagabonds wandering occasionally through here. Uh, don't look at them; they won't look at you. You know that kind of thing." Yeah, you just, know? yeah shoot just one in the heart, look. and the rest of them run. And, <laughs> I don't know. The next day, breakfast is all laid out mm. for our five visitors to the sanatorium, with a note from the good doctor explaining that he will be out today. He's apparently a hunting enthusiast, and he'll spend most of the day out checking all the traps that he has laid in his uh, in his lands around the area. Uh, please make yourself at home and yada yada yada. Elkie again speaks of being afraid of sleeping alone. No, I just sleep alone. She's dropping a hint, girls, you know. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is a pretty obvious one. Yeah, there's a nice, nice little, you know, little bits of cattiness uh, here going around the table here, you know, between the friends. Well, there. yeah, and I, I, love the, I love the line from Senta when, uh, when Elkie says this. Senta says, well, I guess you're probably the only one who did sleep alone. <laughs> <laughs> Looking right at Marlena, yeah, uh-huh. which I thought was kind of neat. <laughs> well, with the host away, the guests will play. Uh-huh. So this is where we get them. Uh, well, we get some nude swimming. Yeah, there's apparently a swimming pool or some kind of pond on mm-hmm. the grounds there, and uh, Senta and Karen, I believe, uh, get mm-hmm. naked and splash about. Mm-hmm. While uh, is it Karen who's sitting on the edge or Elky sitting? I can't remember. But anyway, two of them swimming is some nice. Nice bare flesh there. Yes. Uh, while uh, Marlena and uh, Emre uh, go off together walking around the grounds and talking. And this is where we learn that uh, 
they've been lovers for a week or two at this point. Marlena fears that uh, they'll have to part, that they won't be able to get married or anything like that because she's pretty convinced that her parents wouldn't approve. He's not altogether sure that that's necessarily true, and it's, it's clear that uh, they both would want this to advance to marriage, but they're not sure if it'll happen. And back at the sanatorium, the girls get out of the pool, and the three of them, Senta, Elke, and Karen, decide to snoop about the place. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a bunch of old... Mo most of the places they find, there's just a bunch of old furniture and cobwebs. Once again, we learn just how much of a chicken shit Elke is. Yeah, you know, I basically figured out that uh, uh, Elke's, Elke's basically the Lou Costello trapped in a beautiful body. Oh, <laughs> 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 yeah, that's... You could, yeah, yes, good good analogy. I swear sometimes you just want to slap her and say, okay, we get it, you're, you're scared. <laughs> well, they go down the steps and try to get into the basement, but the door is locked. They come across the library. Mm -hmm. uh, now, mostly they say it's a bunch of medical books, mm -hmm. so nothing of, real, of any real important, but they do find one really interesting book with a bookmark in it. Mm -hmm. Memoirs of Professor Von Helsing. Right. Mm. Now, you know they're going to have to pay attention to this. Yeah. It's magnificent. It's a library. Hmm. Oh, medical books. There's nothing interesting Just look here. At this. The memoirs of Professor von Helsing. You know, it looks like someone's been reading it lately. It has the place marked. Let me see, Senta. Now I'm certain that Dracula has returned. We weren't able to destroy Dracula in Burgo Pass. And his terrible power has manifested itself. Manifested itself once again. <gasps> What's the matter? I'm sorry, but I can't go on reading now. Come on, stupid. You don't believe in this nonsense. I'll read it. Because Dracula's immortal. He's a sadistic beast, and what's more, a devil that follows man wherever he may go. It's possible for us to destroy his carnal existence. The devilish perversity that exists in Dracula will reincarnate itself. Once more, terror and death for all of us. And for all humanity. What's the matter? Nothing. Shall I go on? Leave it. I'm getting nervous. Go on, Senator. I'm also afraid that his cruel daughter, Rodna, will return in the same way. I shudder just thinking about her new reincarnation, her new appearance. How might we recognize her? How might we destroy her once more? From her ashes will generate a new Dracula. Therefore, each generation will know a Dracula in a completely new form, a thousand times more perverse than the one before. And whenever man's blood is drawn by his brother... Dracula will return to punish this horror with horror. My friends, <laughs> what you heard right there is gibberish. Yeah, that's pretty much the only word for it. Uh, I. This and, is and it only gets better, folks. As the uh, film goes on, it only piles on uh, the. Uh, <laughs> okay, let, let, let's try to dissect this just for a second here because this shit drives me nuts in this movie. Von Helsing is supposedly saying, okay, we didn't defeat him at the Borgo Pass. We didn't yeah. destroy him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to reincarnate because he's so freaking evil that he's immortal. He's immortal and he's, he's so evil right. he'll reincarnate, yeah. which I don't, I don't understand. What the fuck? Yeah. All right. Then, what is this shit about his evil daughter? His evil daughter, Rodna. Who is this? Where <laughs> is this from? What in God's name is he talking about? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, maybe he took the the old Bram Stoker's, you know. You know what I think it is? I think that in its original form, in whatever version this story originally took, what the idea was probably was Nashi attempting to combine 
Dracula and Dracula's daughter. Yeah. Okay. okay. The yeah. Universal films yeah. from the thirties, right? I thought right? that myself too. And mush them together, mm-hmm. having Dracula attempting to bring his family back to life, his daughter back mm-hmm. to life, to continue his, mm-hmm. well, I guess, some kind of reign of vampire, vampiric energy upon Earth or whatever. I don't yeah. know. But it's just freaking gibberish. Yeah, and, uh, you know, one of the things we'll get to at some point is kind of point out the fact of, of how this is certainly one of the early, early sort of sympathetic betrayals of Dracula. No, and, this is true. And makes me wonder if part of what he works into this gibberish is this whole thing about making Dracula sound like sort of an avenging angel, like mankind's punishment upon itself, and maybe that's also something to kind of put yeah, us in light of Dracula so, not being a purely evil Right, but if, if so... He's constantly undercutting. Oh, of course, it. yeah. With things we'll see later. Well, you know, I, I'm, well not, I'm not going to say he, the, dialogue, but, the film is yeah, constantly sure. undercu- undercutting this idea. Yeah. While because it's almost, almost as you heard right there, almost in the same line saying this, you know, immortal evil. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, yeah, that's his resurrect like, his daughter. So what is he? You know, it, it's, it's well. I mean, well, wait a minute. I mean, so we're already setting up mm-hmm. this bizarre. Schizophrenic, this this split down the middle, this psychotic mm-hmm. break in the structure of what they're trying to do. And, yeah, and, and from and, here on in the film, it just keeps the gulf, the chasm between you know these differing ideas just keeps getting wider and wider. Yes. So yeah, I just know. hang on, folks, because we don't we can't we don't can't do a four hour podcast to dissect all of this. So we'll just uh, hang on with us. <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah. We're, 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 <laughs> I'm I'm already feeling myself overheating. So let's just let's just move on. <laughs> they get to the the the, the day goes by. They get to the second their, their second night there. The doctor has not come back yet. They 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 didn't see him come back at all during the day. Senta has decided that she'll go and sleep in the room with Elkie to shut her bitching ass up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Karen, Karen will sleep alone. She's fine, and she's laying in bed reading the memoirs of Von Helsing. And we get gibberish number two. Yeah, here's gibberish. gibberish section number two, where she's laying there reading a book. You're reading the Van Helsing book, right? Yeah, this is okay. Let's let's let them hear it because this is this is gibberish, gibberish, gibberish. Dracula is immortal. He's the prince of the darkest unknown. We can only destroy his carnal existence. Time after time, he'll return from his ashes, and each new life will surpass in horror the one before. A slight hope lightens my heart. The Prince of Darkness will not acquire the true potential of his bewitching power until he encounters a true virgin that will fall in love with a vampire in a natural way, giving herself to him without the need of his diabolical power. The blood of this young virgin will restore Dracula's evil superiority, and his life breath will revive once more his daughter, Rodna. My sincerest desire is that this young virgin will never be born. My sincere hope yeah. is that this woman will well, never be born either. Well, this, you know, I'm expecting it was going to follow up with, you know, Van Helsing saying, so I'm just going to go and fuck every woman out there and I'll just to prevent this from happening or something like that. But <laughs> now, at least with this bit of gibberish, we at least get some very interesting visuals while this is going on. Uh, several places in the film where it, 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 it films sort of imaginary oh, yeah, or dream or fantasy sequences. And, 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 uh, yeah, where know. the image is solarized. Or yeah, right, right. So not, not necessarily solarized, but it's a, it's a bizarre Almost like a negative image. kind of yeah, image. Yeah, negative image. Emre is, of course, at this point in time, creeping down the hallway, no doubt mm-hmm. uh, on his way to Marlena's room trolling, for a little more, for Marlena. little more bumping. Yep. 
and <laughs> he runs into the the vamp tramp or the vampire delivery guy. Yeah. They have a little fight. He the, the vamp apparently's got a little bit more strength this time around and attacks Emray and bites him bigger than hell. Mm-hmm. Then, strangely enough, we see Doc Marlowe out actually hunting. Or yeah, out I, actually yeah. on the ground yeah, checking right. his traps. He's carrying a right. shotgun, and he's checking his traps. And here's where we really get into this film not knowing what the fuck it wants to do. Right, right. Because we, we've just seen the, 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 the tramp vampire attack Emery. So, okay, mm. we know that's happened. And we're, we're cutting to watching Dr. Marlowe walking around outside checking his traps. And he finds that one of his traps has trapped a rabbit. And he releases the rabbit. He lets it out of the trap and sends it on its way. He's a sweet guy. He saved the bunny. (laughs) How sweet. We know he's a damn vampire. What the hell? (laughs) The very next scene, as if to give us a a sense of, okay, some time has passed. A little bit of time has passed. Although this is still really quick. We have Emray going into Marlena's room. Marlena sees him coming in. It's nice because it's filmed exactly the same way his earlier visit was. Exact right. same camera shots, uh, cutting. You know, the same. And beautiful way with the, the shadows over his face. Right. And then he comes at her in bed and seems to kind of hypnotize her. She seems kind of like a deer caught in the headlights. She right. can't call out or anything like that. And he attacks and bites right. her. Yeah, apparently the vamp- vampirism is in- instantaneous in this film. It's like it's you very, know, it's very quick. Bit, you're a vamp. So. Like I say, now I'm wondering if the reason they, they obviously wanted to get Emray and Karen turned in—I mean, I'm sorry, Emray and uh, Marlena turned into vampires this night, right? And in this way, but this, of course, completely throws out the whole idea of how long it would. T- I mean, this 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 invents a very quick turnaround oh, yeah, for is. vampirism. It is. Yeah, there's none of this three bites in your head or whatever. It's no, just, yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, not just, even a you know die and come back <laughs> yeah. thing. Oh, you know, the next day. So. Um, which I will say, I mean, at least it is consistent with that idea as far as I can tell, I think, through the whole film. It is, I think, True. everybody who yeah. gets bitten pretty much automatically becomes a vampire it is, next time It is fairly it, instantaneous. So. Uh, one of the things about this that was, that was really neat, he, does, he, he hypnotizes her, bites her, and uh, very much in keeping with uh, the kind of sensual nature of the, the vampire attacks in this film, he then kisses down her body, mm-hmm. down her chest, through you know, right. ac- across her breasts and down to her stomach, leaving a trail of blood behind. But it's this very sensual scene mm-hmm. that there there are more things of this type later yeah. on in the film wrapped around a vampire's drinking of blood. It, definitely a signal right there that they're going to be treating these things differently. This is not the same as the attack on the delivery man or the delivery man's attack on... Um, mm-hmm. On Emory, this is something. This is something very, very sensual. Yeah. Start again. Karen wakes up and goes downstairs. Obviously, she's she can't she doesn't sleep a whole lot apparently. Yeah. Uh, she finds the good doc sitting downstairs reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talk for a few minutes, and uh, he invites her out for a moonlight stroll. And she kind of I, I like the way she goes. Well, that's, that that sounds a little romantic. And he's you like, convinced me. Yes. Yeah, she's yeah. just like, like oh, yeah, okay, 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 yeah. Sure. Yeah. She she gets a little flirty. Yeah. It's a shame that. Such a beautiful garden is so neglected. It's so strange to find this house in the middle of nowhere. The former owner was an extraordinary person. He was a real art lover. He brought Arabian artisans from Turkey just to decorate the garden. Is it true what they say about him? What are you referring to? His passion for blood. Henry told us some things about the strange personality of of Count Dracula. Some people claim that Count Dracula and Dr. Cargas were one and the same person. I really don't know what to tell you. 
But you mustn't put too much on what the farmers say. This region is rich in legends. Even if Dr. Cargus didn't pass the limits with his experiments, I'm sure that ignorance and superstition did the rest. Then you don't believe in vampires? I didn't say that. There are many questions for which science has no answer. Life and death are two of them. But how is it that a scientist has a formulated opinion? No. The true man of science rarely confirms anything. I would say he doubts everything. But, Dr. Marlowe, do you think the myth could be true? Why not? The majority of myths have an authentic origin. The quest for immortality is one of the great desires of mankind. If the legend of Dracula is true, the price to be paid is awfully high. It's just terrible. You're right. The cost is horror and eternal loneliness. I don't want to mix in your private life, but I can't begin to understand what compels you to live here. Simply that I'm a man that likes the country, and in love with peace and quiet. Have you ever thought of starting up the sanatorium again, Dr. Marlowe? It was my intention at first, but I'm afraid it won't be that easy. The truth is, I haven't been worrying too much about it. I don't want to offend you, but you... You seem to be acting strange, like the stories of your predecessor. Will you leave us again tomorrow? I'm afraid so. My traps require constant attention. I have to check them daily. Do you hunt much? No, not much. Have you noticed the plant life in this region is somewhat rare? Some plants are poisonous, but some are medicinal, too. I often collect them. Have you ever thought of making a love potion? The truth, Karen, is that I've never been in love. I'm sorry. I was very indiscreet. I was only joking with you. It's not strange what you say. Your life is so lonely and apart from the rest of the world. That might be the reason that your arrival has made me very happy. Well, Midnight Stroll there, Cinta sees them out, out the window. She wakes wakes up and hears yeah. them and looks out the window and sees them. And there's a little bit of jealousy yeah, in her eye. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next morning, they notice that Marlena and Emery are missing. They didn't come right. down for breakfast. Right. Uh, Elkie doesn't understand what Cinta sees in the good doctor. And Cinta tells her right off, hey, mm. he's rich. He's mm. got money. Look around. <laughs> And Karen, in their dialogue over breakfast, seems that she really is kind of warming to the good doctor. Yeah. Well, they okay. go wandering. The, 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 three, the three of them go wandering around the grounds, Trying thinking, well, find, yeah, yeah Emre and, and Marlena got to got to be around here somewhere. While they're, I mean, they they spend the whole day looking, they don't find them, and as dusk starts to fall, they head back to they, they start to head back to the sanatorium, and uh, they get off one of the regular paths to try, to try to take a shortcut, and Senta gets her foot caught in one of the good doctor's traps. Right. Looks quite painful, too. Yes. They pry, they pry it open and limp back to the sanatorium. When they get there, they knock on the door, and the good doctor's there and opens the door, and he feels absolutely guilty about having having this one of his traps harm one of his guests. Right. They bring her inside, and uh, he, being a doctor, of course, goes to bandage her leg. This is quite nice in that yeah, her scene. leg's a little bloody. Mm -hmm. And as he's starting to, to wipe the blood away and kind of comfort her and try to make, make sure she's okay, it starts to visibly get to him. The, right. the blood starts to visibly get to him, and he uh, exits really quickly to go get um, an anesthesia or a painkiller to help her. Right. When he comes back and starts to bandage the leg again, you notice that Senta takes advantage oh, of this yeah, situation she's, to... Uh, she's flirting very heavily yeah, in yeah. this. Uh, and calls him when you know calls Wendell him by, his, you know, call him by his first name, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, now that night, Elkie is called to by Marlena, uh, hypnotized by our dear Marlena, and 
she's bit. Now that, yeah. Now the very central scene is great the way she just comes around. You know, they, this is this is a film that this, this happens. is a slow motion. And, really and they do this in several Nashi films, and it's it's always has a great effect, uh, just as it did in the Tombs of the Blind Dead films. You know, it's just yeah. a great use of slow motion. Uh, yeah, but when Marlena comes upon Elkie and and bites her, you know, the scene is just really uh, very sensual and slow motion. And well, it's yeah. it's it's so neat because Elkie goes out in the hallway yeah. and sees Marlena, and she obviously is the, it's it's a form of hypnotism, right? She bites her on the neck, and then she bites her on the other neck, side yeah, of the neck, yeah. on both sides of her neck, which was, once again, they're spending a lot of time on this. It's very sensual stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of neat that in the hallway there, there's a portrait behind them yeah. of a of some some man, some balding man, and it's almost like the portrait is looking over this as it happens. Oh, yeah. And the, the yeah. portrait has kind nice. of a small grin on its face, a little, little tight-lipped uh, grin. I remember, I remember there being a portrait back there, but yeah. I didn't I didn't notice that. It's a, it's a neat little touch, and yeah. I almost wonder if it's if it was accidental or if they or if they, they definitely you know framed yeah. it that way, but it's it's a neat little touch. I didn't notice it. I guess I was too busy imagining myself in that sandwich there, and I didn't, <laughs> uh, didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't see it. But, yeah, good, good, good pick up there. I didn't notice. Um, uh, and also, as viewers were thinking, oh, thank God, Elkie's not going to come whatever happens yeah, she won't be bitching we're, anymore we're not going to have to hear her whine anymore <laughs> <laughs> well uh Senta hears the good dot walking by her room mm-hmm. and calls to him and calls him into the room and starts talking to him and then basically just throws herself at him yeah well we should point out that at the start of this night uh Senta used the excuse of her ankle as being why she would not be able to sleep with Elkie, yeah, that's thereby true. cleverly giving herself the room by herself because Karen went to sleep with Elkie, and Karen apparently sleeps like a log because she didn't wake up when Elkie gets called out to be to be bit. But the end result of this is that Santa's all alone when she hears uh, uh, Wendell walking the halls there, and she's able to hey. And uh, we have we have our first Nashy sex scene of the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We knew it was coming. We knew, yeah, we definitely knew it was coming. <laughs> now, this is where we get. Our first voiceover. Yeah. And what we have here, not someone reading the Von Helsing book, which is where we got the stuff earlier, which, okay, makes sense. Okay, you're. Yeah, because you're you're imagining it to yourself. Right, no problem. But here we have that same thing, and it's the Von Helsing stuff again about a virgin falling in love and. If, if if a virgin falls in love with him naturally, he'll gain, you know, his diabolical power, yada, yada, yada. Very strange. Don't know why it's over the scene. Well, I know because you're sitting there and he's making love with Senta and he's talking about, and you're sitting there thinking, you're barking up the wrong tree, Drac or Doc, if you're looking for a virgin that's not the. (laughs) I I, I don't think, yeah. (laughs) I don't think this is where you want to go, but uh, yeah, for some reason they felt they needed to remind us of, 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 of the fact that a virgin will give Dracula his final domain over mankind. Now, while they're having sex, uh, we have a scene down in the basement, all in slow-mo, with Imre, Marlena, and Elkie, our three newly transformed vampires, mm-hmm. walking down through the hallways in the basement. And I don't get this scene at all, because the whole thing seems to be there just as kind of a spot keeper, a place keeper. But Elkie spots the tramp vampire, the, the delivery man vampire, and uh, goes over to him and attacks him, and then during the attack realizes that he's a vampire, he's a vampire. and then runs away Turns from him. Turns and runs from him, yeah. And that's yeah. the end of the scene. Yeah, yeah. It's 
pointless. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it because there's there's nothing later in the film that, that gives us an indication of why this scene is there or what yeah, would be. They the point use this of the hallway scene. over and over because it's such a great looking set. Yeah. and they fill it with fog and they do these great scenes. There's that slow motion from behind. And All looks great, but yeah, but the overall scene is one of the strangest in the film and just comes out of nowhere and and is is very bizarre kind of scene that just seems really out of place. And the only reason I can think of it being there is to give us a little a sense of time passing during the sex scene. Because the next cut is we go back to him getting dressed, getting out of bed and getting dressed. Right. And uh, he tells her, you know, this we probably shouldn't have, we we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have given in to our our impulses mm-hmm. there. His quote is, "Love is more than a game." Mm-hmm. And uh, she doesn't take it that well. But I mean, you know. yeah, I mean, she she feels well. I think a lot of it is, you know, her her interpretation of it is that he's. Oh, Just, he, she says, he's put off by the fact that she's not a virgin, but but actually it's more on. I think that it's interesting. Well, no, I mean I he, she flat out says, I mean yeah. you're in lo- you're in love with someone else, right? Right. Yeah. And he goes, no, not really. Mm-hmm. And then he has that kind of spaced out faraway yeah, look, says, and look, she goes, you're, you're thinking, thinking of her yeah. right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so she does get kind of get hacked off, but at this point it's it's become obvious that that Moon Knight stroll from the night before with Karen has got has got his got his vampiric hormones tilted mm-hmm. in a certain direction. Karen is now attacked by Emre. Mm-hmm. She screams. Our good Dr. Marlowe runs into the room, and we have a vampire fight. Mm-hmm. These two guys go at each other. Uh, pretty vicious, nicely done little fight. There. Yeah, it is. Well, well, it is good. Pretty, well, pretty well choreographed, and it is the two of them. I, there's, no, there's no stunt double in this scene that right. I can tell at all. Uh, and it, it finally ends with uh, the good doctor tossing Emre out the window and he lands on one of the metal spiked fences down below and is dead in a doornail. Right. And now we hit what I like to refer to as the non sequitur scene or <laughs> shortcut storytelling from <laughs> Paul Nashian cast. Yeah, that's right. We cut to suddenly the vamped up Marlena and Elkie vamping up Senta. Yeah. Uh, with Senta. Last we saw of Senta, she was calling for Marlo when he was leaving her to go yeah. off and rescue Karen. Next thing you know, she's already uh, just prone on the slab, and uh, she's laid out on on a slab like an altar of some sort. Mm-hmm. And Marlena and Elke are like slavering all yeah. over her neck, and uh, you know, va- you know, turning into a vampire. Mm-hmm. It's we're not complaining, mind you, but it's no. it definitely just again. You just feel like was there like a few minutes missing? Is this the missing right, reel or right. that kind of feel? Yeah, it, it's it's either this bizarre attempt at just leaping forward, kind of shoving the story forward, or there's something Which is missing. Not the, first time we've seen that in these films we yeah. always kind of come back to that is you know as we do get into that rush to the finish line although this doesn't necessarily do that you know but uh yeah so it's it's yeah it does feel like well, I know here's something i've wondered and i don't have a way to check this but i wonder if this is a scene that would have been cut out of a tv version because it's, oh. it's because of the nudity oh well yeah i guarantee you it wasn't and, in and the, then therefore essentially if this scene were cut out then you the next thing you'd see you just see Senta as a vampire mm-hmm. with not even this little yeah. non sequitur scene giving you an indication of well how the yeah. hell did that happen if nothing else I mean I, I, it's been too many years since I saw it on TV to tell you but uh, it might you know it, it probably it may have shown the first little bit of the scene because it doesn't start with full That's on nudity and true. so it probably showed you the first little bit of the clip before the actual before they where they're just biting her and you probably just I'd cut it curious. short I'd be curious I'd be curious well Karen is completely terrified and announces to the good doctor that we've got to we've got to find my friends. She's they go downstairs and uh, they get they, they get they get downstairs into the main room where she found uh, the good doctor reading the night before, and they're attacked by the vampire delivery man, yeah. the, the tramp the, <laughs> the, the, tramp, the, the tramp vamp. 
there's a pretty fierce little battle here between them, and the the, the tram vamp kind of gets the best of the good doctor there for yeah. a second, and he's on the ground and kind of dazed for a few minutes. The tramp vamp picks up Karen to uh, haul her away. She's fainted, of course. So there's a lot of a lot of fainting lot of in this film. <laughs> yeah, Karen's kind of good at the fainting thing. Yeah. And as he gets to the as he gets to the top of the stairs, going down to the basement, here comes the good doctor, and he attacks him. And Karen unfortunately falls down the staircase. I know, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, "Good move, Doc." You know, he like he <laughs> catches the catches the vampire right just in time for him to you know makes him drop her. She falls down the friggin' stairs. Wasn't his best plan. No, no. <laughs> but uh, he does a stake yield old mm-hmm. geezer vamp to the wall, mm-hmm. nice and bloody, and then uh, runs down to the bottom of the stairs and is really, really horribly upset, worried mm-hmm. that. Worried that she might be dead, that mm. falling down the staircase might have killed her, and it yeah. <laughs> may very well have. It's a damn long staircase. Carries her back up to her room, dresses her wo- dresses her wounds, starts talking to her, and basically says, "Look." Uh, Gives her a big, big old head bandage that only appears in this scene and never again. That's true. That's yeah. true. Uh, tells her, "Look, you get better, and uh, we'll leave this place. We'll get out of here. Mm. We won't have to worry about what's going on here." That that night, mm. we have the scene that we refer to as the moonlight. I guess the moonlight walk. Part two. Part two. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. Uh, we learn a lot of information here. First mm-hmm. of all, this is where we finally learn that the girls uh, knew each other from boarding school. Right. Which is how they knew each other so well, and mm-hmm. their personalities kind of bounced off of each other. This Moonlight uh, talk finally cements, uh, I would call this the I love you scene. Yeah. And uh, not in a purple dinosaur, I love you, you love me <laughs> scene. This is where they confess their yeah. love. Wendell, I don't know what would have happened to me these last few days. Without you, they've been the most terrible and the happiest days of my life. I, I have something to tell you, Karen. I. You don't have to say anything. Action is much more descriptive than words. I know you love me, Wendell. I know because of all, of all the things you've done for me. You don't have to be grateful to me for that, Karen. It's not gratefulness. It's something much more than that. Much more. I love you. I, I'm the happiest man in the world. As you can tell from the tone of my voice. <laughs> that is some hot-blooded stuff there, folks. That's some feverish, <laughs> I'm the feverish, happiest man impassioned. In the world. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let's address this really quickly, really briefly. Uh, like I say, we've we've listened to we've we've gotten both the English dub and uh, the Spanish dub of this. Uh, there are times the English dubbing is really good. I know, yeah. And there are times when it falls on its face. Yeah. And that's a moment right yeah. there. And there's times when it's actually even actually out of sync, uh, even with you know a, a, yeah, that's a true. Virgin, not that's a true. whole lot of film facial movements. It's it's, it's mostly uh, it's mostly in the first reel, it is. first it's in the early part of the film. film. Yeah, yeah, because then the, it, yeah, it gets better as it goes. But. Yeah, and then, and then it's something you don't even you don't even think yeah. about any longer. So this is their big confession of love and. It really, really plays a lot better in the Spanish language version with, with, uh, with reading it, reading the English subtitles, mm-hmm. because the expression on Nashi's face conveys the emotion very well, but yeah. the, 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 dub, the dub, the English dub, really doesn't, as you can hear there. <laughs> I know he might as well be saying, "I've got an ingrown toenail," you know. I mean, with I really thing. need a haircut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, listen. He he says to her there, you, "You've made a full recovery." So. I'm guessing it's just the next day or a couple of days gone by. There seems to have been a gap of time here, which would explain why the, the bandage on her head is no longer there, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's that's. Uh, that's yes. my best guess is that a couple more days have gone by. Maybe I don't I don't know, 
because the film doesn't really communicate that to us at all. But uh, he says, you've made a full recovery, so we can leave tomorrow. We can go ahead and get out of here and get away from this place and go, go on and start having our lives together. Yeah. And she says, but what about my friends? Yeah. We, we still don't know what happened to my friends. I can't resign myself to losing them, which I think is a great line. Yeah. Now, here's my big question to you at this point in the film. And the movie does not make this question easy. Does he know what happened to the girls? In other words, he didn't vampirize any of the yeah. uh, any of her friends. That's been one of the things that's been interesting about this film altogether to this point, at least, you know, as you're picking up on these these all these vampires are creating each other. Uh, other than the very opening scene where obviously it was Dracula and his big black cape attacking the guys who were going to rob the, the, the sanatorium in the very opening scene, uh, ever since, other than that, everything's been going on. These vampires have been creating each other without Dracula's or without any other, you know, vampires. Without, without his intervention without his or his, inter- his, right, his right. actions whatsoever, as far right. as we know. And the question is the film doesn't really give us a good answer. Yeah. Does is he aware? In other words, yeah. is he completely clueless about what the hell's happened to these people? Right. Or is he lying scumbag, thinking, "Well, you know, I'm in love, mm-hmm. but I'll keep lying to her." Yeah, yeah. I, I, it is a really good question. It's it's because it's one that you wrestle with a lot in this film. Because there's certain things. Okay, let's go back to the scene where the that first wandering vampire. Remember when it scares Karen and she basically faints into his arms, and he's standing right there and. You know, well, he definitely course, saw the you guy. You have to think like he saw him, you know, well, which which makes you think, and the fact that he was there makes you think that he was there to make sure that the other vampire, that the vampire didn't attack him. This is the vampire that supposedly he created, but most scenes he really almost conveys more the opposite. That which would be very, if they could have made it consistent or made it more consistent, I think. Yeah, it, I think it would have been a very interesting neat, a take on a neat take on it if he really yeah. had no awareness of the, of what was lurking inside him, that basically he was carrying Dracula's spirit inside of him. I think that would have been a very interesting thing to... Right, have, but, and, and that's what the film seems to keep hinting at. Yes. Is that there's the doctor, Dr. Mm-hmm. Marlowe, mm-hmm. and within him, mm-hmm. perhaps without his knowledge, is the spirit of Dracula mm-hmm. come to existence again. Mm-hmm. But the film doesn't I mean it, because, it, it tosses that idea out because what would but make it never age, does anything right, with it. because if that was what they were trying to convey it would really make very interesting like the scene when he's out in the moonlight at one point in the film earlier in the film and he looks up at the moon he kind of stares at it for a minute but that's just, just an isolated little clip yeah. there as like maybe it's affecting him and he doesn't know why it also the scene where he's doctoring Senta's ankle and the, the, her blood on her ankle is obviously getting to him it would make it really interesting if he's not if he doesn't know why he's being affected that way yeah I but did. we don't know. <laughs> but, but this is a, this is where the I run into a problem with this film because it's just consistently sloppy, and mm. it's in that it seems to have had two separate ideas about this character and what he was and how he was going to be portrayed. Mm. Yeah, and it seems to want to to just toss randomly in in different spots both of them mm. and just kind of hope for the best. Throw them both against the wall, see what sticks. Mm-hmm. And it ends up just irritating the hell out of me. Right, because here we're going to come to a big, big turning point in the film. Right. Uh, this scene where uh, they're having this discussion again. They're in uh, the in a bedroom, and, and he's telling her that he still wants to give her a little more medicine. And she says, I don't... You said, it's not medicine I want. And she, you know... Yeah, she says, I don't want to go to sleep. Yeah, I don't want to go to sleep. And, they, and that's when they, they make love. They have, mm-hmm. they, they, they have sex together. So it's obvious that they're portraying 
Karen as a virgin, and therefore this could be the woman that Von Helsing prayed never existed mm-hmm. and has fallen in love with, well, Dr. Marlowe, but apparently that's Count Dracula as far as the movie is kind of telling us one way or another, hinting, showing, pleasing, you know, kind right. of moving in that direction. So here we have the Virgin falling in love with Count Dracula, and this seems to be moving toward the old idea of resurrecting his daughter, which the only time it's mentioned is in that voiceover from the Von Helsing book, from his memoirs, and in here in a few minutes when we get to that. But like I say, afterwards, after after this, after they they make love and and go to bed, uh, she wakes up and goes downstairs to the basement, and this is when. Well, we kind of have to get to the confession scene. This is where it all comes loose. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. where she goes down and she sees. In a beautifully filmed scene where she comes into this, oh, this massive chamber. This it's so atmospheric. There's, there's a couple yeah. of coffins in there. Uh, but she sees kind of the, the ghostly gallery, I guess you could call it. Her three friends come out as, as you know, vampires, the three girls. Uh, and uh, they hypnotize her. We get into the whole hypnotism thing again, which is nice. I really, I love it when they play with that aspect of, of the vampire, how the vampire could be so charming, as it's not really charm so much as it is a, a kind of ability to cloud cloud your mind. Yeah. Uh, we go into, she goes into this new room in the basement, and uh, there's kind of, it's a large room. There's kind of a raised stage on one side of it. Uh, there's the Dracula coffin, and the three female vampires, her, her three friends are right there. And uh, pop, just one of those. Bam, right into the scene. We yeah, have Count Dracula. He just pops into frame, and there's Wendell. And he's, uh, well, in a black cape with his hair, hair slicked, slicked back. back. And uh, he's dressed kind of as a Dracula. And Sounds this is amazing. where we get all this information about his daughter and trying to continue his bloodline. And it's just. Well, yeah, okay, go ahead. And... It's Huey. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think it's Huey? I mean, it just. And all told without anybody's mouths moving, by the way. From this point on. Dracula yes. does not speak. Uh, Wendell speaks no more, uh, uh, except in this. Uh, what do you think of this? Is it effect? telepathy? Is it supposed to be telepathic? Yeah. Is that the idea? Yeah. It, it certainly makes the film seem even more uh, going spiraling into this area of just almost like dreamlike weirdness, you know, from well, here on out. Yeah, and and and, and part of that works for me. Part, part of that of can does be good, it. and some of it is. But but he but. start. But this whole thing starts. He, he's gonna he's gonna drink her blood. This is how he's going to raise raise his daughter from the dead under a full moon. The refers to uh, his daughter as Countess Dracula, and he'll become infinitely powerful. You once belonged to Dracula, and now you've returned to his side for the ceremony, which signifies the rebirth of his origin. Your blood, which until now has been prohibited, will be his nourishment. In this manner, you'll be united forever with the Prince of Darkness. My daughter Rodna must return to life. On the night of the next full moon, Countess Dracula will rise again. Once more, we'll be infinitely all-powerful. Once more, the world will know the Empire of Darkness. And now, the ceremony must begin. As your blood flows painlessly, it unites you with Dracula. Remain without fear. Your life is not in danger because the power of the unknown goes beyond death. And now, 
you remain a prisoner of Dracula until the final ceremony has been performed. Okay, so this explains where we're going for the rest of the film, but I have a question for you. Okay. Do you think that the voiceover was intended from the start, or do you think that the voiceover became a necessary thing to explain this clusterfuck of a film? Yeah, um, it, it's hard for me to believe that that much... I mean, I, I, maybe they were trying... I mean, I can see how maybe they were thought it would lend a, more of a an oddness to drive a, a evil or a sense of menace to his character or something. Maybe there was a reason for it. To me, it feels like... It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel like... Because well, there's so much me, let, of it, and it goes on pretty much, like I said, the rest of the film. I mean, he never... Yes. He never speaks, and there's there's really very little dialogue. Here's, here's the thing. Here's what I'll give them. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'll give them as far as the voiceover is concerned. There are points when I'm not pulled out of the film by the fact that I'm listening to some just a bunch of fucking gibberish. Yeah. There are points when it merges pretty well with the music and the visuals to give me a neat little twinge of creepiness, a kind of feeling of, wow, okay, okay, that's neat, that's kind of neat. But there's... That's rare in this stuff. Most of the time, I get the feeling that the reason they're not speaking is that we're supposed to know what's going on by this point in the film, and we're just seeing it play out with some form of inevitability. That's not what we're getting, though. What we're getting is this shitload of clumsy-ass voiceover. i got to tell you, I watched the English this time around. Yeah. I watched the English language version first, and the only thing I kept thinking to myself was, Jesus Christ, I hope to God it's not in the Spanish language version. I would love to think that there's a version of this movie out there that doesn't have this clumsy-ass bullshit dialogue yeah. slathered over the scene explaining in great detail all this idiotic crap that doesn't make sense anyway. Yeah. But, no, it's there in the Spanish language yeah, version is. as oh, well. Oh, yeah, it is very much. I, yeah, I do think a lot of these scenes might have been more effective if they had just left the narration off. You know, if we're already to the point where it's confused anyway and we've kind of gone into this whole... Bizarre but we world would have of still, Dracula. It, well, like it might, okay, you know, yeah. maybe you know what I mean. It's like maybe at that point they should have just left some of it out and just let the scenes play out without dialogue at all. I to, wonder if just with the sound effects and the music, if some of it might not play really much more effectively. Yeah. But at the same time, we wouldn't know what the hell was yeah. going on. Yeah. With the uh, with the daughter thing. Well, yeah, let's this, let's get on to let's get on to the next. The next few scenes where uh, I do want to I do want to say this that that uh, or just see what you made of this that I thought could, could have been effective if if the film had if if we were a little bit more understanding what's going on or if the film had a little bit more of a consistent vision is I do think it's kind of nice that when he finally appears as Dracula and by the way Nashi makes a better Dracula visually than you would think he would I mean they I, did, I agree. they went they, did, skip over they went a long yeah, way right. towards trying to make him a convincing Dracula and he's not he doesn't you know people it's hear not, that and it's not just the hair being pulled no, right, back right, right, that right. helps yeah. But he does look. Uh, they've done. They seem to have done a subtle thing to the makeup, so his yeah. his face looks a little longer than right. normal. Right. He look. He, he does. He does actually look pretty good as Dracula. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta give you that. But when he when he pops out and, and Karen sees him, you know, for the first time, she gives a little bit of a gasp and then she just starts tearing up and, and tears start coming in her face. Now I thought that was pretty neat because yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't work this way for us in the audience, but it, I think it's kind of neat because it says, without any dialogue, it says she instantly understands all that's gone on. She's like, you know, oh, fuck, you were Dracula all along, you know? I mean, but she just said, <laughs> but I think that's a neat reaction that rather than go into hysterics or, or say what's going Freaking on, or, or freak, yeah. you know, she, she just slowly starts to open tears. Like, she realizes instantly 
what's happened, you know, that, that he was Dracula, they had sex, and that brought about, you know, that brought about... So I thought that's actually... Well, yeah, she's the one that's been reading the, the memoirs yeah. of Von Helsing, so yeah. she now can put this crap together and yeah. know what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And that's why I think that that voiceover, it might play better without the, the, the damned voiceover, because we've been given enough information to put this stuff together in our head, and obviously she's putting it together. It's fitting, the, the pieces are fitting together in her head right now. Right, right. So, it's just, just kind of frustrating. Here's another little comment. We see the, the three girls, Senta, Elke, and uh, Marlene. Marlene, rise from coffins. Mm-hmm. Now, it's done in slow-mo. There's mist. The music is wonderful. It's yeah. beautifully lit. It's incredibly atmospheric. It's really neat. But the thoughts that kept running through my head was, where the fuck did coffins come from? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it looks great. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. wonderful. It's... But I'm serious. The, the thought that ran through my head was, mm-hmm. well, that... What, huh? Yeah. But because yeah, really we should only have two, the one for Rodna and the one for Dracula. <laughs> right. And don't get me wrong, it looks great. Oh yeah. I mean yeah. it's beautiful yeah. it's a beautiful it's beautifully creepy. And that's something I want to emphasize. For the rest of the running time of this film, the atmosphere, the look, the creepiness, mm-hmm. the beauty of this movie is at its height. It is, it is. It's really nicely atmospheric. I just really love the feel of it. It's Balderdash, yeah, yeah, but it's gorgeous it and it really has a nice feel to it. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we have problems, and I'll yeah. get to them as we go along. Now, uh, regardless of the gibberish of this stuff, let's let's take a moment to to talk about how he drinks her blood. Yeah. He does not bite her. No, which I think is a neat little thing. Mm-hmm. Credit where credit's due. Don't want to bite her and turn her into a vampire. Right. So he sticks a, while she's hypnotized, he mm-hmm. sticks a, a knife through her throat, all the way through her neck, yeah. out through one side and out the other, yeah. and then drinks the blood as it trickles down her neck. Yeah. And once again, this is a very sensual scene as mm-hmm. he sucks at the blood and then licks it off of her, uh, off of the, the nape of her neck. Mm-hmm. Very, very neat scene, a very, very neat idea, because yeah, it is really he doesn't different. spell out, before, even in different. the clumsy-ass voiceover, that I'm you know, I'm not going to bite you and turn you into a right. vampire, yeah. but, you know, neatly done. I very yeah. much like that. I like it a lot. Then, he's out checking his traps in the night again. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what we have here is him out checking his traps, and look, an old man, an old hunter, mm-hmm. has been caught in one of his traps at dusk. Hmm... And he's gonna let him go like he did this week. Little he'll rabbit, let the right? rabbit go. Yeah, poor little guy. Nope, 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 nope. nope. Actually, gonna have to eat him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he attacks the old man, and there we get there. We have a, a nice little meal for Dracula. So now we go back to this circular question: When he was setting traps before, did he let and he let the animal go because was he hunting humans all the time? That would be the question. <laughs> that, that would be that the would question. Be, in a more coherently scripted <laughs> film, <laughs> we would know that that's what was happening, mm-hmm. and that would be really neat. Yeah, yeah, it would. It would be a neat effect. Like, oh, he let the rabbit go because he was planning on catching people, but we don't know that. You know? But anyway, yes, right. he dispatches of his catch this time. Yeah, because because then the film would set it up as you misunderstanding his nature by him letting the rabbit go because he's actually a vampire. Yeah, but right. It's not because he's it's, a nice guy. It's because he's not interested in drinking blood, but, well, you know. Anyway, then we get to one of the best sequences in I love it. any vampire film from this period, I yeah. will just flat out tell it's you terrific. this is an astonishingly mm-hmm. well done mm-hmm. and just flat out exciting sequence. Mm-hmm. The three vampire brides, as I refer to them now, yeah, the cemetery girls, the cemetery girls, go hunting. They follow 
an old man and his daughter, right? A couple of peasants, yeah, out from uh, the woods where they've been gathering wo- out, out where they've been gathering woods and working in the forest. Follow them home in a nice, mm-hmm. creepy, yeah. stalking sequence. Let them get into the house. They kind of stand back in the shadows mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see where the lights come on upstairs and who's yeah, going where to go to bed. Goes up to her bedroom. And then uh, they go over, and two of them leap yeah. up onto the second. Yeah, Elke and Marlena take this. Yeah, and of course, it's very clear how this is done. It's yeah. it's, it's a reverse thing where they actually jumped off and they run it backwards, but it's still very oh, effectively nice. done, yeah. very nicely done. Because of the fact of it being reverse, it gives it that even more odd quality to their movements, which mm-hmm. just makes it even better, you know, when, when they, yeah, but they leap actually up onto the balcony, which, you know, it's, it's not something we've But that amazing seen, image, yeah. right yeah. after they both leap up there, of the two of them walking toward the camera, which is inside yeah. the room at that point, and you, yeah. you're looking out the window at them, across the tiled roof, yeah. is, and they're doing it in this very sexy way. Yeah. It's yeah. just nicely uh, and, done. And you're sitting there saying, like, God, this is what's worth sitting through all the nonsense for, is this kind of thing. You know, yeah, it's what makes this, this is film a great worth seeing. Because yeah, this because whole this. sequence, them stalking these two peasants, is absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Break into the room and attack the girl, attack mm-hmm. the daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's, she screams, but they quickly silence her. Mm-hmm. Then we see, we see them in the barn carrying her body. Mm-hmm. Uh, she may be dead at that point, but we're, we don't we know don't one know, way or right, the other. Right. And in the barn, the reason that her screams didn't draw any attention is that's where her father was. He sees them and immediately attacks them with uh, a pitchfork. Yeah. With a pitchfork, a great little a great little fight scene here where yeah, he's he ends up. With Mar- Marlena, with they both have hold of the pitchfork, and then and, and then um, is it Senta? Senta grabs the scythe, scythe, and chops him in the neck. Yeah, and they escape with what they came for, which would be the daughter, the farmer's daughter. <laughs> the farmer's daughter. Yeah, I, hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Oh, so many dirty jokes. Oh, so little time. <laughs> Three care. vampires visited the father's daughter. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> and they had to sleep in the barn. Um, well, apparently Dracula needs more blood, and uh, we see him sneak into uh, another peasant's house and attack a blonde woman and drink her blood. Yeah. Not just any blonde woman, by the way. That I looked uh, on the cast. I didn't recognize her. I just happened to, to see uh, her name is Larita Tovar. Oh, yeah. And she actually, uh, this was, uh, I think, maybe just like the second film she did, but she ended up going on to have a fairly lengthy career. And, in fact, she was in Inquisition. Now, I can't tell you who she was in Inquisition because there were about eight stunning blondes in Inquisition, and I can't tell you which one yeah, she and, was. And, but and, she and, they don't, and, they, and they don't really give a give name Give a name, for exactly. Her. But uh, she uh, it actually went on to, uh, to be in quite a, quite a well, lot of Well, I mean, she was in... Um, she was in uh, the second Blind Dead film. Yeah. She was in Autopsy. Autopsy. Sometimes go by the name of Lolly Tovar, it looks like. Yeah, uh, well, she was also in Legend of Blood Castle, which was uh-huh. a um, George Grau, pardon okay. me, the Spanish filmmaker George Grau. She was in Candle for the Devil, also known as mm-hmm. Nightmare Inn, mm-hmm. uh, which and is a heck of a little movie, by the way. And I believe this was, 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 was yeah, just maybe her second film, I think. So uh, she, 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 she had an uncredited role, supposedly, in The House That Screamed, screamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, or La Residencia. Which yeah. is one of the seminal Spanish horror films, of course. Yeah, just a very small role, but. Um, so while while the vamps have been out hunting, by the way, uh, Karen is being kept in a cell uh, right. during the days and 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 during the days and then the nights until they need her. Oh, but when she wakes up in her cell, she immediately feels for her throat, and the knife wound is completely gone from her throat. Correct. From her cell, she sees the three girls return, the three vampire brides return, mm-hmm. with uh, the daughter. 
So old Drac comes into her cell, comes into mm-hmm. Karen's cell, and explains that uh, you know he, for you he's re, he's recovered his human condition that he lost centuries before, but uh, uh, he explains the the ritual what has to happen now, which is mm-hmm. that he's got to um, torture this innocent peasant girl yeah. and then mix her blood with uh, the blood with the blood of the one who actually loves Dracula. And uh, this is how he'll create a new fleshly shell for his daughter, for Ru- yeah. for Rodna. So they chain the peasant girl up in the in the big yeah. room there, and uh, whip the living Start crap out of her. her. I love the fact that a lot the, of torture uh, here. I love the fact that in the narration grunts along with the you know like when Dracula starts wailing on her with the whip. Even in the narrating voice is like going uh uh with every you know like even that's only in the English version. By is, the way. Yeah, yeah, that's Thank true. God, yeah, they, they you know the English doves they always try and give us that extra <laughs> that, that extra. Little bit. But but you know it's once again you know just when we're trying to you know make Dracula kind of a likable guy he says you know Dracula demands the suffering of an innocent you know, know it's like I that's know. not going to get you invited to many parties buddy you know <laughs> like I say it's another part of this whole yeah. bizarre split that the film has yeah. about the personality of this character which is you know I demand the torture of an innocent and I love you and yeah. I'm so sweet and I've recovered my humanity <laughs> really yeah. where the fuck is the humanity when you're beating the poor peasant girl because yeah. you look pretty thrilled to be doing it yeah yeah they're all enjoying it they're certainly the the vampire girls enjoy licking the blood off her back. And oh, I like that. And then collecting some of her blood in a chalice to drink. Mm-hmm. And uh, stringing her up. Yeah, yeah. And then they string her up and dangle the, the poor girl over the, the, the Countess Dracula's coffin. Mm-hmm. Slit her neck so the blood all drains in there. And then they have they bring Karen over, slit, uh, cut her wrist so that they dribble some blood onto yeah. uh, Ro- Rodna's face. And uh, there we go, the innocent blood and the blood of the one who loves Drac for no damn good reason that we can figure out. Yeah. Mixes, and uh, the flesh returns to the bones, and we have a pretty attractive young woman. I was about to say, Rodna Rodna ain't ain't, ain't shabby at all. Then we cut to the next day, and uh, she's still locked in her cell. Karen's still locked in her cell. She's rather despondent. But she knows that at least the, you know the ritual's over. Whatever whatever's happened is coming to a head. This is all going to be over soon. But Senta comes into her cell and attacks her, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just out of the blue. And I'm wondering if, in a longer, better cut of this film, the jealousy Senta was hinting at when she saw them walking oh. in the moonlight the first time mm-hmm. would have been played up, and this would explain why Senta just comes into the cell and attacks her. Well, one thing this brings up is something that. I really think is, is, is kind of an interesting thing and kind of a neat thing about this film that wasn't real common for classic horror films of the day. It's very common now, but the whole idea of when someone becomes a vampire is part of their personality still coming out, even as they're a vampire. You know, that's a very common thing today with things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, True Blood. You know, all the characters that become vampires still have their own Yeah, they're still the same person. In yeah. the classic horror films, generally the people once they become vamp they're just usually just drones of the vampire they may become sexualized or whatever but in this case what i think is interesting is even though all these vampire girls become kind of you know they become sexy seductress whatever i know notice how Senta becomes the dominant female vampire once she becomes a vampire now it's it's yeah, like that's once true. elkie and marlena even though they're the ones that vamp her as soon as she becomes a vampire she takes the center stage whenever they're walking together she's always out in front you know elkie's always in the back elkie who was the the, the more timid one when when she Senta is the one who ends up draining the the farmers you know she's the one who takes over the ritual and drains her neck you know even though she was not the first vampire and to me this whole idea of her going after Karen once again in life it, in life she was obviously the most uh, the one of the four girls who kind of went after you know 
Like, she was the most forward, the most extroverted. Exactly. Yeah. So here she's the one who's basically breaking off from you know acting on her own will. So I just think that that that's one aspect of the film that that I thought was was kind of uh, that interesting. that is interesting. Then there's another part of me who's kind of looking at this as uh, just a, a, a nice a nice good looking film and thinking that the reason they may have put the Senta character in that position is that she's the tallest of the four girls. Well, yeah, and, so, and, 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 and uh, the fact that she's always wearing the white and the other ones are wearing green and, 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 and red, and so it may be a whole just idea of, color, what, of the, the what, the, scheme, what the cinematographer yeah. wanted as the color scheme, and that's possible too. But at any rate, Senta comes into her cell and attacks her. Mm-hmm. This does not go down well with our dear Dracula, who mm-hmm. comes in right afterwards and uh, smacks her around, mm-hmm. chases, uh, chases her to the stairs, and... Stakes her. Stakes her to the wall. Right to the wall. So. Bye-bye, Santa. Bye-bye, Santa, baby. Which is kind of a shame. I know, I know. Eh, you always kind of lament that kind of thing. <laughs> this is when we get to, well, the end of the film. Yeah, we're coming We're, we're coming up on the uh, the last uh, last few scenes here. And, and Dracula now comes to visit Karen. And, uh, or this time he, he's... This next time he talks to Karen, he basically tells her that he that she's changed him with her love. You must come with me. Soon we'll be united forever. And nothing or no one will separate us. For you, Dracula has been a different being during this time. Because of you... He has been restored his human existence that was lost many centuries ago. But no one can escape his destiny. Dracula will always be horror and loneliness. It is you who must exchange your existence for that of his if you really love him. Now, one of the neater things about this scene is he's, he's basically saying, I, I love you, but I can't force you to share my destiny. And because of that, I'll give up resurrecting my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has uh, the two remaining vampire brides carry uh, the, the do- his daughter's Conf- fleshly, mm-hmm. fleshed, but apparently not yet conscious body. Which, yeah. yeah the, the, the coffin with it uh, out to the local river stream and mm-hmm. throw it in. Yeah, just drop it in the water. Because he says something about how he has to, even though he's not going to resurrect her, he must put her, must must take her where man will never find her. But it's now dropping a floating coffin into the river. You know, right. it's like it'll never what? turn up anywhere. <laughs> not to overemphasize this phrase when talking about this film, but what the fuck? Yeah. And once okay. again, this sequence is a, is a very dreamy kind of you know it's eerie eerie shot. scene where they clothe this you know and they yeah. But but yes, we have to tell him what 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 the last you know what follows this after the after the after the coffin's dropped in the river, we see a close up on Dracula and what and he's shedding a tear. Shedding a tear. He's so oh. so sorry about this. Here's a here's a here's a quiet question for you. Yeah. If you want to hide this coffin yeah. from human eyes, why don't you bury the fucking thing? <laughs> Who would have thought? Bury a coffin. I'll be damned. What the hell is going on in the scene? Yeah. Why, in God's name, throw the coffin into the wall? I don't get it. I suspect that, you know, this this film became a point, the more and more it went on, it came to the point the cinematographer was just saying, you guys obviously don't know what you're doing. Let's just do something that looks cool. I'm just going to take over here. I know how to make this film look cool. Great stage, great scenes. Um, you know. And well, here's a, here's a question for you. Here's something that popped into my mind watching the film and, mm-hmm. and looking at this scene and, and, and trying to figure out what the hell they're thinking. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think he was attempting to set up some kind of sequel? You know, uh, I mean, it never happened, obviously. Yeah, but. I mean, well, I mean, considering how little continuity there are between even his Waldemar Daninsky films, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, he didn't normally seem to, to, to think in that way, but hell, he may have in this. He may have seen this as a, as some, as a saga he wanted to possibly continue. Maybe. Well, I, I don't know. He went, he went far enough to, to show us what the Countess Dracula, the daughter, looked mm, like. Yeah. So, Maybe the idea would have been to do a Countess Dracula film sometime down the road. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it never happened. But yeah. that's the only thing I can imagine yeah. where he, you know, by putting her in the water, maybe he thought he had, he had some kind of really neat visual mm-hmm. that he could use, you know, for the for a resurrection scene or for some kind of discovery yeah. scene at the beginning of another film. Because the idea of a coffin floating down the river, you know, uh, opening up with you know Countess Dracula in it. I mean, that that would be a cool beginning to the next film. But. It, w- it would have been neat, but. Otherwise, I mean, this is just another complete non sequitur of, of a sequence, and I don't get it at all. And it, it, it does look great, yeah. And it is kind of moody and, mm-hmm. and creepy, but at the same time, the 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 sheer lunacy of what we're looking at just boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and shows what a sensitive guy Dracula was while he was impaling thousands of peasants and <laughs> or just whipping the peasant woman. <laughs> or just before. whipping the peasant woman. So. Uh, in her cell, Karen has now uh, constructed a crude cross out of a couple of sticks and what looks to be her panties. I don't know. It, it's, it's obviously lacy. I don't want to yeah. get into it. But hey, you know, here's a... Here's a here's I don't want to get into it. Well, yeah, good. Nice <laughs> oh, one. Nice one. Oh, that was bad. Oh, sorry, people. That was bad. I'm so sorry. That's bad. Okay. But but hey, here's an Ashy heroine who's actually at least proactive. You know, she's she's actually true, doing. True. She actually think. You know, she's she's been a pretty intelligent character through most of the film. She's been. They've established her as a as as, as someone who's who use her her use her wits. You know. And right. Well, and also strangely enough, the cell door, her cell door is now open, so she creeps out of her cell. Yeah. And starts wandering around yeah. the the sanatorium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the hallway runs across, runs across Drac and waves the cross at him mm-hmm. and he immediately says you, you don't need to wave that at me you have, there, you're in no danger from me right. which I mean honestly that would appear to be true I yeah. mean he's never yeah. made any kind of threatening move on her well she believes him she drops the cross and comes yeah. into his arms yeah. and they get all lovey-dovey and have sex again mm-hmm. so you know guys apparently you can do whatever you want to in Nashiverse and <laughs> everything's fine you can still have sex with the hot chick so. now I do want to say right here did you know did you read the part in Nashi's uh, autobiography where he mentioned the fact that he and this actress did not get along real well on the set yes, yes. have you noticed the two sex scenes between them are neither one of them very erotic I mean well the first one we never even see I mean they start to sure. kiss and then it cuts the next morning in this case it gives us where they're in bed and embracing, but there's... Well, this the, is where we get yeah. the, the scene right, that you the can't... Mirror, the, yeah. the mirror scene, where you can't see the vampire in the mirror, which they, the film has not played with at all up until no. this scene. Yeah. And uh, maybe this was a way to to get, you know, to get a good... To get a half-decent, you know, love-making scene in the film yeah. between the two of them yeah. in a creative way. Right. Because, yeah, you're right. Because they even, even said the love scenes between them were difficult because they... They didn't, <laughs> they get, along, didn't really get along real well, so... It's it's a creepy the, the mirror scene's a creepy shot, but it, I mean it, it's it's pointless. Yeah. I assume that it may have been done for the reasons we've talked about. Right. Now the next morning, we now know where the other two vampire females are, <laughs> because Dracula has chained them outdoors yeah. to a tree 
And when the sun comes up, they, of course, die in the sunlight. A good, nice burn. burn I think he changed them up. Actually, I think it was inside, but it was with windows, and I believe. Was I it? think it was inside I, a room. I thought it was in like a courtyard, but nevertheless. Well, actually, it may have been more like it. Maybe that's what I thought were the walls of a room. might have been the walls of a courtyard. But, yeah, and I love that, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Elkie and, Elke and Merlina are chained up and screaming for their lives, and you hear the narration basically saying, you've done a wonderful, bang-up job. Thanks for everything. Uh, th- <laughs> this is sort of the vampire version of the gold watch when you retire. You know, he's like... <laughs> <laughs> or like a pink slip yeah, with, with a slap like, upside yeah, exactly. the head. It's I don't like, know. you know what, not even a reference for our next, you know, right. he's going to burn us, you know. Like, really? I mean, I think I think the Frankensteins are higher, <laughs> yeah. and if you could give yeah. me a reference, I could, you know, maybe get a job. Like but that. another sad moment in the film when we, we lose two more of the dishes there. We lose two more of the, dishes of the there, you know. women, yes. Yeah, so. Sad, uh, sad, sad. And, and then, of course, we go from dawn with the vampire brides mm. being torched alive by the sunlight mm. to quickly, next yeah. scene, <laughs> night. Night yeah. has fallen again because it's another one of those super fast Euro so, man, trash, Euro film, trash days. film days that are like yeah, <laughs> twenty seconds long and then it's night again. <laughs> well, it's you know if you really took it's, it's if editing. you really took count of the it's days, editing. yeah, and if oh, you really took count of the days, this whole movie takes place over like a week and a half or something. You know, well, it's, it's like, it's, I don't know about that because we do have that period of time when uh, we don't know how much time passes when. Uh, after Karen falls down the stairs and she, you know, she bandages her head, and oh, then that's true, right. the so, next time we we see them, yeah. you've fully recovered. We're going to get the hell out of here. But it would appear there's been a, a passage of a few days at yeah. the very least. Yeah. So yeah. We, we don't really know. I, we don't have a we don't have a clear vision of how many days mm. of, of the story has taken place during. Um, but anyway, our cast is down to two now. Yeah, we're down to Karen Drac and, and Karen. And that night, they're they're down in the big. Um, what would we call it? The big stage room? The, yeah, the, the room with yeah, all the coffee? The chamber, yeah. The, the cha- yeah, the chamber. The mm. chamber of horrors. <laughs> and uh, and love. Chamber of horrors. Chamber of horrors. <laughs> <laughs> and in torturing of innocence. And Dracula has Karen there, and he's, he, as I ask you to give up your, your mortal life and join me. He's, he's, he's asking yeah. it for the last time. She says no. Mm. She says I can't. Can't do it. And he says, for the first time, love puts an end to Dracula's life. And I got to tell you right now, Dracula's coming off as a bit of a drama queen here. <laughs> yeah, he really is. I, I mean, to say, I've, he's uh, all kinds of emo, weepy bullshit. <laughs> on me. I but he he com- he finishes off this little statement and then does what I considered what I think might be considered a bold, fresh view of how to handle Dracula, but. I can only think that about 20% of the time, and the other 80% of the time, mm-hmm. I think he's a big fucking pussy. Yeah. Because he stakes himself. Yeah. <laughs> Dracula commits suicide. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling it, folks. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's especially without any more explanation from her as far as, or any more trying. I mean, he doesn't even say, like, oh, Yeah, where's, where, why don't you get all, me, you why, know. Why don't you, how about getting enraged and deciding, hey, hell with this. Yeah. We're going I to. I know, seriously, this, this scene plays out like, you know, Come join me. No. Okay. Steak. <laughs> Steak. <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, dude, check the menu. Maybe there's something else you'd like to see. Oh. I mean, maybe she was going to say, I can't right now, but, you know, <laughs> maybe in a week, you know, he doesn't give her the chance. It's just oh, steak. But the whole sleep. <laughs> what's funny is he sleep, almost, my love. what's funny is after he, stak- after he stakes himself, he almost kind of looks over at her a minute like, see what I'm doing here? You know, just here? speak up if you, uh, speak up if you I can still want to yank this out. <laughs> Speak up. Maybe we have, we a, have a problem with this, but uh, uh, anyway. So uh, well, he 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 stumbles down, holding onto the side of the coffin, 
sleep, my love, and then... Uh, uh, now, let's get back to that. Did you notice the differences between the subtitle version and the dub version? Oh, here? my God. No, no, no. Kind of what, what, what did you notice here? Kind of interesting. The subtitle version, as he's disintegrating, Dracula staked himself, and he's he's doing it's doing the old dissolve, dissolving flesh thing. Which is very which is pretty yeah, nicely done. It, I yeah, like good, that. Good, yeah, it's well done scene, good makeup. But anyway, okay, in the subtitle version, Karen says twice, she says, sleep, my love. Sleep, right. my love. In the dub version, she says, come back to me. She does? Yep. She says, "Come, yeah." She says, "Come back to me." Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow, I don't. I, I, yep. Okay. Well, that's that is very interesting. It is. Yeah. Um. Wow. Those are uh, both of those are good lines. Yeah, but very different from each. other. But difference. very different from each other. Very interesting. Um, sleep, my love, versus, versus come back, come back to, to me. me. Mm-hmm. I did not notice that. That's 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 very interesting. That's uh, that's a nice little coda to the scene, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, be nice to kind of. Hmm kind of debate which one of those is the better line. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, because she is weeping at that point, which is, which is kind of... Right, right. Then, uh... Yeah, because in one, she's kind of resolved to, like, yeah, this is the way things have to be. And the other one, it sounds like she's regretting, like... She's, she's regretting like, her oh, choice, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Should have spoke up, because I didn't realize you were such a suicidal whack, whack job. Whack job. <laughs> I had no idea you are going to shove a big fucking wooden stake through your chest. Damn, dude. All right, well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the film ends was... with another great little scene. Yeah, I love that. With her, Karen has uh, dressed back in her original clothing, mm-hmm. but you know, a little worse for wear. Still got the the, uh, the wear and tear she's gone through, but she's walking across the fields away from the sanatorium into the sunrise. In, 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 into the sunrise, yeah. and yeah. it's a very it's well played scene with the music playing over it. Very nice ending it to is. the film. I really like that scene. Yeah. So that's the that's the film. That's Count Dracula's Great Love. It is. Discounting Crimson because Crimson is it's not a, a is, is just yeah. a film he starred in. Right. This is honestly the first of Paul Nashie's horror films that I can honestly say is a complete mixed bag. Yeah. I can't so. feel completely positively about the film, but I don't feel completely negatively. No, there no. is a there's a lot of good stuff in this movie, mm-hmm. but it's a mess. Yeah. Yeah, and as I said before, coming into this, what my memory of it was, you know, four women get stranded at Dracula's castle, and he falls in love with one of them, while the rest of them get vamped. You know, that was my memory of it from all those years ago. I had not remembered, you know, going to this time and watching it, and just realizing, like, wow, you know, yeah, there's just just so much that doesn't make sense, that doesn't add up to each other. You know, just a lot of mess there. With there's the a lot of extra crap that mm. doesn't. That, I mean, it, it serves to kind of extend the runtime in a way, but it's as if they shoved two different ideas mm. about the Dracula character together and never resolved them. Yeah, and in the past we've we've praised some of Nashi's films for the things that they trust their audience to get that they don't spell out. Uh, you know, because uh, a lot of times he's known for clunky exposition, and so we've also pointed out times when it was yeah. when something was left unsaid. That gave the audience credit for being able to figure it out, but I think in this case you, you can't defend it. You know, I tried to believe me. I know I started to sit there and think that, but in the, I don't think it holds up with this one. But I don't think it does. Know. There, there are times it does, but there are a lot more times when it just flat yeah. does not. But, but you know, having said this, is like you know, this is a film that's eminently watchable in the true sense of that word. That it just never gets. I, I don't. I probably could never get tired of just looking at the film just visually with just Agreed. so much of it Agreed. so much of it that that's that's stunning and so much so many great little moments but but yeah it's a very frustrating film i mean literally you know as we've been doing this this is probably one of the hardest films where we've had to stop so many times and just kind of like you know re you know put the little pieces in place make sure we're taking this in order because yeah. you know and we've having you know this is the one that was the most frustrating in that sense i think so. this is uh i always talk about where it where it fits on a one to ten scale one being bad ten being the best yeah 
Uh, in general, I almost want to give it a five, but I end up feeling a little more friendly toward it, mainly just because I am such a horror fan. Yeah, and end up giving it yeah, a six. Yeah, I mean, because there's so much. I mean, but, we're, so much. You know, you you know, so much that you're just going to be a sucker for anyway. I mean, you know, so much. You know, give me the gothic atmosphere. You know, yeah. the beautiful women. The you know the 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 gore, the music. The, the the sequences that are just so really well done. We yeah. didn't we did specifically talk about one little scene in the in the latter uh, part of the film that's just a, a little throwaway scene with no dialogue or anything like that where you see Dracula getting back into his coffin at the yeah, end of the yeah, night yeah. and it's in slow motion and there's all this this uh, this fog about mm -hmm. and it's it's really wonderfully lit and just really well done and the, him lying down and the and the and the lid closing it's one of the best of those types of scenes in a vampire film ever I think yeah. it's just really really well done and the music is perfect for it it's a mixed bag the film is such yeah. a mixed bag I, yeah yeah. I, I don't know. The um, I, I have the the usual the usual things. I for the most part the English dubbing was okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it didn't. It wasn't great. It wasn't awful. There were several times when I thought that it it could have definitely been improved. And there are times when it's a hell of a lot more clunky than the subtitled version. Yeah. Uh, but then again, there is the whole question, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I talk about this sometimes with other folks as well. There's a certain leeway you end up giving a film that you're watching in a foreign language and reading subtitles for. Yeah. And I don't know if it's that we're friendlier toward it because we're, we're working a little harder to, to get the story because, you know, mm -hmm. reading is active, listening right. is passive. Sure. Sure. But, so I'm, I'm not sure how much of my reaction to preferring the Spanish cut with subtitles is to the English cut. I don't know how much of it is not liking some aspects of the dub mm -hmm. and how much of it is just that that effect of feeling friendlier toward a film that's in a foreign language and therefore you're inserting some of the vocal nuance I was going to say because you can't is do are we not able to truly judge vocal performances and acting performances in another language as well as we you know yeah, as, as, that's well, a as, good as well as we can our own language which I think would probably make sense that's probably the case but nevertheless I like the deep voice used for Nashi in this but mm -hmm. sometimes the, the the performance is flat 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 yeah. flat flat yeah. Uh, as you heard in at least one right. of the clips we played. I'm the happiest man in the world. <laughs> I'm the happiest man in the world. <laughs> really? We're going to shoot some electricity up your ass and see if your voice changes at all. What do you think of the female characters? I liked them. I, I thought that they were, I mean, again, I... They don't fall into the stereotypes, as we've said. Right, right. They don't. I mean, you can, yeah. You can tell certain things about their personalities is obviously who's who's the timid one, who's the dominant one, but I think each one of them has little shadings there that, uh, yeah. that are... That, Which that I like. Likes. I do, too. I do, too. I really like the fact that uh, Karen uh, displays early on that she's a learned person because when Emre is given that first exposition about, you know, the history of Dracula, she jumps in with her own, you know, kind of establishes her as not just that she's the, the pure one, but also that she's 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 very intelligent. She's smart, she's outgoing enough to mm. put forth her own knowledge about mm. things. Mm. But all the girls also also have their own their own opinions, and I think they have good chemistry together too. You know, I mean, you can believe yeah, them. You can believe them as a group of friends. I think certainly, which certainly. is important. I, while, while I wish we learned about them having known each other as schoolgirls in a boarding school, which yeah. would have explained the the chemistry those characters yeah. seem to have together. Mm. Yeah, it's it, they, they do work well together. I do like that. Mm. I liked the flow of the story. But like I said, I, I wanted more info at, sure, at certain yeah. points. Yeah. Uh, it moved just fine. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not as if I feel that the the, the film is slow or no, clunky. No, I don't either. The the movie has other problems than that. Yeah. How would you rate the the direction? Um, in terms of coherency, as far as visual coherency, uh, there were not 
I, you know, I was always able to follow. I didn't feel like it was, you know, everything was established well. I thought the scenes were filmed very well, set mm-hmm. up well. Yeah. Uh, there weren't parts that confused me as far as who was who, what was happening in terms of the action, that sort of thing. So I think technically, technically, I, I, I can't really say that I, I can't fault the direction as. Well, you know, I would argue that the direction is the best part of the film. Yeah, I certainly would not consider it a weakness. It's not when I think about it. I think the I think weakness is the script is a weakness. Not. You know, the script is the weakness. Oh, the, the, yeah, the, the, com, the confused script is, yeah. the, is the biggest weakness this film has. The direction is wonderful. The fact, in fact, I would think that, I think that it's the direction and it's the great skill on display mm-hmm. is what keeps the film from some, being something that you just throw your hands up right. at. You know, what, what in yeah. God's name am I staring at here? Because just about the time I would get frustrated with it, <laughs> right. especially on the on my second viewing this time around, mm. just about the time I would be ready to toss up my hands, another scene would come along that was really yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. So this this pushes me to want to go ahead and rewatch Hunchback of the Morgue very know, soon because it's not the same, same director and this yeah. guy really knows his stuff. Yeah. I've, I haven't watched Hunchback of the Morgue in a few years, and that was, yeah. that's a great film. Yeah. But I, but I agree with you in talking about how, you know, I, I would probably tend to give this a six, you know, as opposed to a four, you know, if we're not going to give it a like. Yeah. And, and also um, just want to point out, too, that uh, in terms of, of what it tried to do in the sense of trying to make Dracula a sympathetic character, that was that was still pretty new to the cinema at this time. And, and one thing one thing I noticed at the time this was made now, this was after the series Dark Shadows came out. And it was one year after Night of Dark Shadows, which, you know, uh, yeah. portrayed the vampire as a sympathetic character. But I don't know, at that time in Spain, I'm not sure how much exposure Paul Nashi would have had to Dark Shadows in either form, either the TV or the movie version. So from know. his own perspective, you know, I feel like he's, I feel like his idea was, was you know, is he gets, I think he definitely gets points for, for doing something that was kind of, you know, which is now just the norm to make vampire sympathetic characters. It well, was now, still not a real common thing in the cinema. I think, I think I'm right about that. Even by 72, I don't think it was something that was being done a whole lot. I think you're right, but the thing is, and it, in Nashi's uh, in Nashi's words, he, he refers to um, he refers to it as a little he refers to this film as a little gem, and uh, calls it a claustrophobic film where for the first time in the history of cinema, Dracula actually falls in love. Now, I'm not sure that's true. I've tried to do some research and See, figure out too. if that's true. Yeah, it may be. Yeah, I don't know, but I'm not positive it is. I know that a few years after this, in 74, there was the Dan Curtis TV version of Dracula right. with Jack Palance. Mm-hmm. And in that, you have one of the first tellings of Dracula that uses the now much overused reincarnated love storyline. Right. So that would definitely be after this mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that one wouldn't make the cut as far as being first. Right. But I'm not altogether sure about that. That and really I mean, good. you think about the Hammer Draculas. No, you don't no, fall in love with any of those. Yeah, never happened there. But I can't escape. I can't escape the thought that he may not be quite right, but he may be. Yeah. This may be the first yeah, instance of Dracula falling in love. I'd love to people out there to anybody knows differently or, or or you know can 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 throw something else out there that we may not have thought of. That'd be great. I, but uh, well, he 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 says that uh, he falls in love, and his love, which is greater than even his will to survive, ends in his self destruction. This is the central idea of the film. No, it's the end of the film, and it's a fucking wuss out. Now, okay, let yeah. me let me back up. Okay, I keep emphasizing that I think it was I don't I don't like the whole suicide ending, but I can see how radical an idea it is, and I, I kind of like it for that. I love mm-hmm. it when a film can subvert your expectations mm-hmm. and really kind of pin something to the wall that you're not expecting. And I gotta give them that. Although I kind of don't like it. Mm. 
it's 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 a new idea. Yeah, and it could have been more effective had it been the scenes themselves had been better, or if it had built to it a little more than it did. You know, to... uh, in his memoirs book, uh, he speaks about the film, and as you've already talked about, how he and um, uh, Haiti uh, Politoff did not get along. The French actress that plays Karen didn't didn't, re- mm-hmm. didn't really get along. Mm-hmm. But he talks about how a lot of strange mishaps happened during the filming. Uh, actresses were injured in a traffic accident. Uh, set collapsed and almost crushed three of the crew. Uh, Ingrid Garbo was almost asphyxiated by a leak of toxic gas. Yeah. Uh, come the presentation of the film at the Paris Festival, the hostess who introduced me was injured falling down the stairs leading to the stage, and what's more, my speech had disappeared and I had to make it up as I went along. It seems that Vlad the Impaler wasn't on our side. <laughs> Luckily, though, the critics and box office takes were with us. In France, the film was compared to Stendhal, and today it's a favorite with fans. I look back on the film with melancholia. Now, that's a curious thing. It is. Um, He does not elaborate on why he looks back on the film with melancholia. Especially a film that, that was, as he says himself, pretty popular and was pretty successful. Very, very much a hit. It's it's one it's one of the if you don't think about the Daninsky films from the seventies, this is one of the ones that bubbles right to the top immediately. Right. Um, he he talks about how he thinks it was very well directed. So I have the feeling there may have been some kind of maybe there was a script problem. The fact that his is not the only name on the screenplay yeah, exactly. would point toward that. Key. And it may be that possibly he may just be, may be looking back on it that way because it might not have quite turned out what he had envisioned, you know, and, and yeah. what he thought. We'll never never know that, but it is a kind of a curious statement to make. I will continue to look for more interviews with him and wonder mm-hmm. if he ever commented further mm-hmm. about this film and, and the process of making it. I'd be curious to know. Yeah. I'd be yeah. curious to know because it is a... It, for such a well-regarded film and such a film that I still, like I say, consider to be one that I'm pleased to rewatch. Yeah, same here. Because of the good parts, it is such a mess, yeah. and you can't, you cannot think that he didn't feel that way about some of it. Yeah, yeah. But that is uh, Count Dracula's Great Love. I don't know that we've done uh, everything we could with the film, but we've gone on long enough. But I this think. is one I would definitely uh, would be expecting some thesis, uh, you know, some uh, from people on uh, on dissecting this film. But no, seriously, because I'll need a, such, I'll need a five hundred yeah. word essay. Yeah. On some aspect of the film, you pick it from everyone listening. Uh, email it to nashicast That's at right. gmail.com, and uh, we'll get your grade to you within a month. But seriously, because this is such one of his more beloved films, or ones that people reference a lot, and I know it has a lot of defenders, I would be very interested in it if people, if there's anybody out there listening to us that feels that we just didn't get it, let us know. Yeah, and, and, you yeah. Know, let us if, know why. Um, and uh, tell us at uh, nashicast at gmail.com. I, as I said email. before, I'm pretty sure that... Um, I might be I may be called a heretic on this mm-hmm. film because I really do think it's a mess. Mm-hmm. It's very well regarded and like I say it's one that's held up as one of his better films. I don't think it is. I think right. it's too damn much of a mess. Wow, I didn't expect to feel that way going back to revisit this film. I expected to be blown away like I was by mm-hmm. Jekyll and the Wolfman and yeah. Vengeance of the Me Mummy too. and Our Rises. I really expected not to feel so conflicted about the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, at any rate, folks, once again, drop us an email if you feel the need, nashycast at gmail.com. Any questions, any concerns, want to insult us because we didn't like this film as much as you did, we get it. Want to put a verbal stake in our ass for it, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, we'd like to announce, as we usually do at the end of the cast, what we're doing next. And what we're doing next, we're going to leap forward, folks. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to jump into the 80s, and we're going to jump into Howl of the Devil, or Howling of the Devil, mm-hmm. depending yeah. on... The translation yeah. of the title. 
Yeah, we figure that uh, this is a good one for October because uh, Nashi wears many masks in this film, so it's a, good, it's a good one for Halloween. Now, we do know that this one, uh, you may need a little extra time to get hold of this one, I don't know. It's hard to come by. There is no English dub of this film, so we don't really have a way to put sound clips into the episode, but we're going to try to get inventive with it and do something differently. Such, and uh, since it is such a hard film to come by, we may try to do things a little differently yeah, next time yeah. and not do a point-by-point breakdown of the entire film. But uh, next time out, it'll be Howl of the Devil. Mm-hmm. We're jumping. We're jumping into 1980. Is it 87 or 88? There are conf- there are conflicting. Yeah, good there. question. But 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 it is something we've been wanting to do. Uh, we've been spending so much time in the early 70s. But we we but it, he did strong work throughout his career, and so we hope to hit some of those things from time to time. So we're gonna jump forward into the 80s next time out. Hope you follow along with us. Hope you can find Howl of the Devil somehow, folks. Stay in touch, and we'll talk to you next time. I'm Rod. I'm Troy. And we'll see you later.